I will uh, call to order the uh, Peace River Town Council regular meeting for Monday, March the 22nd, 2021. Uh, let the record show that the meeting started at five minutes after one as, uh, as we were just attempting to uh, to sync our uh, YouTube video with the uh, community. Um, uh, that takes us to the adoption of the agenda. I see uh, here, um, uh, Mr. Parker, that uh, Ms. McQuaig wrote in uh, a, an addition, FOIP. Section 16, disclosure harmful to business interests, third party, or should that be Disclosure harmful to intergovernmental relations. Uh, a business interest and, or, or third party there. Oh, oh, it's or third party, okay. Yep, yep. Great. Any deletions? Uh, there are none, Your Worship. Okay, very good. Uh, could I get a motion to adopt the agenda as, as amended? Uh, Mr. Needham, all in favor? Okay. Passed. Um, let's go to the minutes of the March 8, 2021 regular council meeting. Are there any additions, clarifications, modifications, etc., etc., required? If not, I'll take a motion to accept the minutes of the March 8th meeting as presented to Ms. Uh, Ms. Manzer. All in favor? Uh, are there any public hearings, Mr. Parker? There are none, Your Worship. Uh, we're already at presentations, um, and I see the first individual on the presentation is actually MLA Dan Williams, but I don't see him on the uh, on the Zoom call yet. Should That's I? Correct, Your Worship. Would okay. you like to go to the second one? And yeah, I will go to the second one. So uh, I'd like to uh, to welcome uh, Sergeant Dave Brown. And is that Sergeant uh, Jesse Onassis there? Yes, it is, Your Worship. Okay, very good. You look like a arm bandit. <laughs> I am. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, before we uh, before we get. Um, get into your briefing, uh, I'd be meaning to write a letter to you. Uh, um, uh, about a year ago, I'd been meaning to to write it when uh, when we were getting uh, calls about um, uh, Black Lives Matter and uh, defund the police. And uh, and I, I still haven't got around to writing it. So I'm just going to give it to you verbally. Um, so I, I really want to, and I think I speak for the rest of council, I'm going to make that assumption, but I think once they hear it, they'll probably agree that, um, you know, you're, uh, we're, we're very proud of the RCMP detachment in this town and we're, uh, and we fully support, fully support you in your, uh, in what you have to do. Um, certainly, uh, the uh, calls for defunding the police and and uh, and 
discriminatory actions against uh, uh, people of other races. I, I, I have not found that here in Peace River. Um, and I think you two in particular, uh, um, uh, I, you know, Jesse, I don't know whether you're Greek or you're, you're uh, indigenous, but uh, uh, I'm, and, and certainly Dave, both of you, I don't think have any tolerance for uh, discrimination. And I, I go back to when Sergeant John Haney was staff sergeant and, uh, and I think he certainly uh, uh, represented uh, this force, uh, what, what this force has become even back then. And um, it was at a soccer match and uh, I was coaching. And I think you, Jesse, you may have stopped me um, going late through a yellow light but you gave me a pass so I could go, <laughs> go coach the soccer team. But, but I, I, I uh, digress. So, John, uh, so at the soccer game, John was asked uh, uh, by a young, uh, a young lad, eight, 10, uh, what, uh, that, who wanted to be a police officer. So John asked him, what was, what's the most important tool that you think a police officer has, needs? And so the kid said, gun and uh, John replied no and then the kid went police car and and John said no and uh, the kid hummed and hawed and then John said the ability to talk uh, people out of trouble uh, and I, I think that whole uh, your your approach here in Peace River has been de-escalation and I also remember the uh, time it was at one of our street festivals and there was a constable um, and I don't know his name, but he, he exhibit, exhibited more patience and, and compassion than I would in terms of dealing with a, uh, a fellow that was very inebriated um, and, and might have been vomiting on the side of the RCMP car. But, uh, but he, he was very patient, uh, certainly didn't get angry and, and much more patience and compassion than I would have had. And um, I do want to thank, uh, thank you guys for, uh, for uh, allowing me to go down to, uh, to see the RCMP recruits in Regina. I was very, uh, very impressed by the diversity of the uh, of the RCMP Cretes in Regina. And certainly there is no better or, or fairer police force than one that looks like the, uh, the population it serves. So I, I, uh, I wanna get that out there because I know that uh, we may get into costs around policing. <laughs> and I just wanted to say that up front before we, we become fractious. All right, we appreciate that. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, Your Worship. Always glad to have the support. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you guys have a briefing for us, I understand. Well, uh, essentially with the new fiscal year around the corner, uh, what we've been doing is approaching all of our community groups as we do annually and all of our elected bodies. Uh, and we're looking to set our priorities for our annual performance plan. 
So essentially, this is something that we do every year as the fiscal year turns. And uh, I mean, we take all the input that we hear from our, our elected bodies and our community groups to boil it down to about two or three different priorities that we pay a little bit more attention to above and beyond our regular day-to-day -day work. So uh, to give you an idea, last year, we heard from consultations at drug trafficking, uh, rural crime reduction, and uh, police community relations were among the top priorities that were voiced by a majority of the groups. Uh, so for example, uh, for rural crime reduction, we set some goals for ourselves and initiatives, uh, namely to reduce property crime clearance rates, uh, sorry, to increase it, to reduce property crime and increase number of search warrants executed with a view of dealing with that. So then we set several initiatives to help us meet those goals. Uh, we created a business check program where we have our members going out to different communities every night of the week, right? After hours, after businesses have closed. And they're doing uh, checks for the businesses and where they find the businesses aren't being secured. Uh, they are making every effort to contact a key holder, whether that be two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning or do their best to secure it on their own. Then we leave a little card for them so they know that we've been there. Uh, we've arranged for bait property deployments and whatnot this last year as well. We engage with our rural crime launch to promote a lock it or lose it style campaign as well as a bunch of other crime prevention campaigns. So those are some of the examples of, uh, you know, priorities that were set by our community groups, by our elected bodies uh, that uh, we then put initiatives in place to focus on and, uh, and help us meet our, those goals that we had set ourselves uh, up for the, the rest of the year. Now, these priorities can change from year to year, depending on what the need of our communities is at that time. Uh, so in the past, domestic violence has taken a front seat. Uh, traffic safety has been a priority in the past. And those, those things change from year to year. So part of our goal in meeting with you here today, uh, respectfully, is to obtain some input from the Town of Peace River with respect to where uh, you feel the detachment priority should lie for the coming year. Okay, um, I think uh, we took a survey. Is that right, Mr. Parker? And uh, that, that is correct, uh, Your Worship. And what we could do is we can have um, Miss Hume come on in and uh, talk about that survey because that was specifically what it was. It was asking what we thought the general public uh, would like to uh, see from uh, um, priorities from the policing. So, Autumn, if you just go over your survey results, we'll we'll just kind of combine the two uh, topics since uh, they're fairly relevant. Sure, yeah, I have a real quick uh, breakdown of that survey that we did. So we launched it in late February, uh, around the 22nd. We It ran for three weeks. It was advertised on social media and in our March utility bills, um, brought in 321 responses. Approximately 50% of those were from within town, 50% from the nearby region. Um, since the local detachment does cover a number of communities outside the town of Peace River, it makes sense that we would see those responses from outside the community. The uh, survey questions were modeled after a similar survey by the Regional Municipality of Wood Buffalo. Um, so it's basically intended to offer a sample of public opinion regarding policing priorities. It's not super exhaustive, but it does give um, sort of a straw poll on some attitudes towards priorities right now. Based on self-reported location, we're able to break out the Peace River only data. Um, so if you're following along on uh, Civic Web there, um, you'll see that there isn't a huge difference between the two data sets. Even when we do break them out, it, the numbers pretty closely line up. So whether we're looking at just Peace River or the region, um, the priorities seem to kind of line up pretty much the same. Um, so the top three priorities that came to the surface were property crime and theft. 
uh, illegal drug-related crimes, and impaired driving. Um, those were the top three. Our question had asked respondents to rank their top three, and then this is the ones that got the most votes, essentially. Uh, we also had a comment section that was part of an open-ended question. Responses vary wild, uh, widely in terms of content. Um, it's presented mostly as supplemental information and available to read through if you're interested. Uh, demographic info is also provided as supplemental. It offers a glimpse into the respondents that took our survey. Uh, they tend to be mostly women, mostly between the ages of 35 to 50 years old, 54 years old. Uh, Peace River is the primary location, although Grimshaw was the second highest for uh, respondents. And they're the largest self-reported vocational segment was industry in general terms. So I'm not sure if council has any questions, but it's sort of straightforward in terms of the priorities that we got out of it. The only thing I'd like to add is uh, when you did look at the comment section, uh, it seemed like quite a few, well, I'm going to make an assumption, quite a few people were uh, uh, from the Grimshaw area also that were uh, not a part of Peace River. And, and, and they quite mentioned about the detachment there, but, um, and seeing if the detachment could be continued to open up. The big difference between Grimshaw and the town of Peace River is we basically fund a good majority of the detachment here. Um, I think 50% is covered by the province and 50% is covered by the town of Peace River. Um, whereas the detachment that's in uh, uh, Grimshaw wasn't covered at all by the town of Grimshaw. Now that might change in future with uh, the um, provincial new changes in the funding formulas, um, but uh, I'm not quite sure yet. But that, that was one of the big issues that I kind of like saw. There was uh, quite a few comments specifically on the detachment, but the town of Grimshaw really doesn't fund the actual detachment building, I believe itself. Uh, I could be wrong on that there. Uh, maybe um, Sergeant Brown, you can, uh, and, and Jesse, you can, uh, Sergeant Onassi, you can maybe uh, add a little extra onto that. Well, my understanding is when, when the town of Grimshaw was looking to build this new detachment that they are funding it 100%. Okay. Um, the challenge with Grimshaw is um, with some of the drugs and the prisoners, like we've shut the cells down there. Um, some of the toxic drugs we're dealing with, their building doesn't meet safety standards. So it basically becomes a storefront office. Um, you know, I, I think last year in that multi-year financial plan, you saw we were looking at a $50,000 fume hood for, um, to cover off some of the drug handling that, you know, we have to do in this building. And uh, we managed to procure one through the province as opposed to charge it to the municipality. But we can't duplicate those things. So we have to have them available for occupational health and safety, um, for building standard. And unfortunately, as, as, as you guys know, the standards always seem to go up and uh, Grimshaw's building, I think, will eventually not meet those standards, but for now, we're just going to keep it open as long as we can. Okay, well, thank you very much on that one. Um, Mr. Mayor, yeah. um, one of the uh, things that we've heard, uh, well, I've heard several times in different news reports is that with COVID, um, issues uh, around domestic violence, um, um, violence or difficulty with children in um, uh, unsafe situations. Have you found that to be the case in our area? In other words, domestic violence, um, uh, violence against children or concerns about children um, going upwards? Uh, specifically with respect to domestic violence rates uh, that are reported within the town of Peace River, no, we haven't seen a marked change. 
Uh, we'd ha I'd have to defer to the statistics, which we'll email out at the end of the quarter or the end of the fiscal year uh, to, to look specifically, but there hasn't been a noticeable marked change from, from prior to the pandemic, I wouldn't say. Thank you. Now that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Ms. Uh, Ms. Hume, you uh, do uh, do the do the two sergeants have a copy of the survey? Did you send them a copy of the survey already, or um, we have the report on Civic Web? If they'd like, we can send them a copy of the results as well. Uh, yeah, I think the comments they may find the comments of some interest. So. Those are presented in the um, the publicly available report as well. Yeah. Uh, they do, they uh, go a step beyond the policing priorities list that we've provided and maybe present some additional insight for sure. Yeah. Um, carry on, gentlemen. Or was that all you wanted for top three? <laughs> Well, we didn't want to take up a whole lot of your time. The only other change we're going to see this year, Your Worship, is uh, I know in the past we've had staffing challenges that you guys have been well aware of and we've shared with you. And according to staffing, because of the feedback from community leaders, both rural and municipal, is um, the RCP is committed to keeping members in peace for at least four years. It seemed that for a while there we were seeing a changeover of members every two years. So we were losing the experience and then we we're running vacancies. So the commanding officers assured us that that's not going to happen any longer. So we should be able to get a little bit of a return on our investment from these members and they should be able to, uh, you know, do what the RCMP is well known for is become more involved in the community and have more community residents know who their members are. Because for the longest time, it was a, a you know, a, a turnover of 12 to 15 members every two years. And, and we heard a lot of feedback from the community as far as we don't know our police officers anymore. So hopefully this will kind of resolve that issue. I see. I, Go ahead. No, I, I was just gonna say on that line, I understand there's a, a new member who's looking after uh, what was the DARE program, whatever it's called now. That's correct. So uh, back in November, uh, we had an opportunity to make an application uh, to be a pilot project site uh, for the replacement for the DARE program. So uh, essentially a new program is being uh, sought out uh, and then a couple of pilot uh, sites were, were pitched across the province and uh, Peace River uh, put in to be considered as part of that pilot project and we're successful in getting that, uh, that bid. So we have uh, Constable Kyle Metacraft, who's currently our community liaison officer, uh, who was instrumental in putting that bid forward and, uh, and having, it, uh, having us chosen as one of those sites. And he's delivering that program now at TA Norris School and uh, Good Shepherd, I believe. Uh, so that's ongoing right now until the end of the school year. Uh, and then there'll be more uh, at the beginning of the next school year as well. And then uh, next year, uh, in January, I believe, is when we report back uh, to advise how the pilot project went, provide some feedback, and then hopefully they'll make a decision as to whether or not this will be the permanent replacement for the DARE program. And yes, he is indeed in school uh, every week, and we're happy to see him there. So thanks for uh, for providing him and getting him uh, getting him out and, and in the community. And it's good to it's good for the kids to to see and interact with him too. So thanks very much, gentlemen. 
Well, yeah, we're we're pretty uh, pretty proud of the fact that we were able to successfully lobby to be a pilot site. Uh, I mean, having occupied the community liaison officer position before, in my mind, it's uh, the delivery of the program material is is neither here nor there, right? I mean, it's, it's a good good way of, of, of getting our member in the school and, uh, and meeting meeting the students and, and bridging that gap that exists, right, between us. So uh, that's always kind of been the underlying, uh, I guess, objective there is, is to get our members interacting with, uh, with the youth and, and in the schools and building those relationships to prevent, uh, you know, uh, less than positive outcomes down the road. So we're happy that this is happening. We think Kyle's doing a good job of that. And like I say, he was instrumental in getting that us chosen as a pilot site. We were going up against, uh, you know, much bigger communities like St. Albert, who was uh, also chosen, but other bigger communities down south as well, right? So uh, we're pretty happy to have brought it back to Peace Server and to get the ball rolling and to get us into the schools and, and, and delivering good program material, hopefully, but also, uh, you know, uh, keeping those relationships alive as well. Well, there's other fun events that, you know, we once upon a time could do, you know, for floor hockey games against one another in the gyms and with the kids and getting them, you know, involved and active and, and, uh, and that kind of thing too. So while those things, you know, right now are on hold, it's, it's, it's nice to have uh, that, that replacement for the DARE program too, which is a very tidy program. So hopefully uh, they have some success with this new one and, uh, and are able to, um, uh, yeah, just, build it into something as as notable as dare because man everybody knows that one so so it's it's probably as, as a ways to go but but it's a good start perfect thank you uh your worship if you you mind i, I do have one quick question or sure. um if, if first thing is uh i want to commend uh the rcmp on uh especially the property crime aspect of it uh just the other day um i don't know if you saw that on facebook there one of your officers was in Lower West Peace, I believe it was, and there was a uh, individual very late at night. They had the garage doors open, wide open, and they actually contacted the individuals to let them know, and they didn't realize that. And that was uh, the, the 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 residents were extremely happy. And those are things that people don't get to see that you guys are doing when you're you're doing your patrols. Um, so that I just want to give you kudos on that. But the second thing is 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 our peace officer program that uh, we are, you know, we've been working on uh, extensively for the last little while. Um, how effective is it working with you? And is does it actually help um, so that your members can do other more extensive um, investigative works and freeing them up from traffic and just basic bylaw issues? Um, is it a good program and does it supplement and assist you guys? Uh, just on the surface, I would say yes. I mean, we're happy to have, uh, you know, the peace officers working with us. Uh, and in terms of that, I mean, the security clearance process with RCMP can be a little bit uh, arduous, I suppose. Uh, but uh, Connor, for example, uh, his security clearance came through. So we uh, brought him into the detachment the other day. We were just talking about lines of communication and how exactly, uh, you know, to best communicate with him. And, you know, uh, something, as you know, uh, both uh, uh, Chief Harris and, and Connor uh, sit on our community advisory committee. Uh, so we meet once a month and discuss uh, police-related matters and whatnot and kind of get an update from all of our community stakeholders as well. Uh, and one of the things that Connor had brought up is that oftentimes he'll hear after the fact that the police were looking for this vehicle or this vehicle, but because we're on two different radio channels, right, we don't have that ability to instantly communicate. So we were looking at some options in terms of how do we relay some of that important information to Connor while he's driving around because, you know, he's in around the, uh, the, the town, you know, all day, every day, he sees a lot of the, the people coming and going and knows a lot of these people as well. 
So we are looking for ways to capitalize on that. So yeah, absolutely. We're happy to have uh, that working relationship there. Uh, in terms of direct impact, it's difficult to know how much is really averted from the police without actually, uh, you know, uh, monitoring that. But I know they overhear our support staff often referring things to, to, to bylaw the town office, whereas before uh, that would get uh, dispatched to one of our members. So we're certainly happy for the support. Uh, we have a good working relationship with uh, protective services in the town. Uh, we meet every month and then, uh, you know, whenever uh, one of us needs something, we communicate back and forth by phone. We're trying to come up with a process that will make that a little bit smoother as well in terms of information sharing between us. Uh, and so those are conversations that literally just happened last week. Thank you. Um, so, Mr. Parker, uh, this is not the uh, place to uh, talk about uh, the costs that, that Dave and Jesse are trying to pass on to us. <laughs> well, a combination, not them. It's, it's unfortunate what's happening. The province has changed the whole concept of costing and has uh, downloaded uh, quite a bit of the costs. Um, onto uh, municipalities, so things we've never paid for in the past, such as uh, uh, forensic services have come up. And, uh, and I can tell you that uh, on the call with the province, uh, Sergeant Sanasi definitely mentioned that and, and uh, uh, tried to uh, discuss it with the, the higher ups. Uh, we were, the town of Peace River was on that. So um, that's one of the costs. There's been, uh, quite a few other costs that have been kind of like downloaded onto us and other smaller municipalities that they've never paid for, which technically um, there's that arbitrary number when you're a town of 5,000, then you start paying for, for RCMP costs. So if you're just under 5,000, you might have the same amount of service, but you don't had uh, you didn't have to contribute to it. Now they're starting to contribute a little bit and even rural areas, um, and, and you need to take a look at it. Most rural areas are under that 5,000 number. So most rural areas, unless they had an enhanced police officer, didn't pay for any type of police services. So um, now they're being forced to pay and they're getting really excited about it. Like, why should they have to pay? Well, you've already had the service. It's why should we subsidize uh, the rural areas that's, you know, they're actually getting something free as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, that's just my personal opinion and the province is dealing with that. So having said that at, at the end of the day, um, there are um, other issues uh, that are now being downloaded onto our municipalities um, that we're, we're, we're a little concerned with, and, uh, but that we'll have to deal with with the province more than anything else. And these costs were uh, uh, like forensic services were picked up by the province previously. Is that right, Mr. Parker? That is correct. Okay, we'll and, talk and, to and Dan It's based about on an arbitrary that. number. It's, it's based on, well, no, it's, it's an average number of uh, the past. So, so this year, uh, we didn't plan on uh, uh, having to uh, pay uh, forensic services. And we just received a bill um, literally for uh, 15,000. However, the actual number is higher than that. But next year, our number will uh, drastically uh, shoot up because they do an average of over two years, I believe. Do you uh, two gentlemen want to comment on that? Dave, Jesse? Um, number one, like at our level of management, the province really didn't uh, let us know any of this was happening. All of a sudden we received these bills and uh, you know we, we argued vehemently and, and our operational strategy branch, at one point it was as high as I think $40,000 your worship, but uh, 
we said, well, how can we just drop this off in the town and not let them know that this was expected? Because uh, the province hadn't communicated with us at our level of detachment that we were supposed to be. Because it really impacts, um, you know, sometimes what we do, like if we look at a sexual assault file, right, and we're looking at DNA testing and everything else, it starts to impact, you know, kind of the course of that investigation. Like, it, is it, you know, you, you have to balance probability of getting a positive match back versus, you know, costs associated to it because it impacts the municipality. I just, I have to find a way to somehow manage some of those things. And in fairness to the town, I, I can't just drop a $20,000, $30,000 forensic lab bill on the town. Um, but we haven't really been involved in that whole process. And I was actually shocked to see some of those bills come in. Um, and uh, luckily Shane Ramtamal fought a couple of them and the province rescinded them. But, uh, but I think it's communication that has to take place between the province and the municipality because the province has kind of decided to go this direction you know, with policing and we really don't have a whole lot of say in it, unfortunately. Colin. God, thank you, Your Worship. Uh, I'm uh, replaying the mayor's introduction in my head, uh, Jesse and Dave, uh, uh, that council needs to be kind to you. So uh, I'm, I'm just framing my question as I'm warming up here. So it's a long preamble. Uh, and and just uh, thinking back uh, to your workload, your priorities. So Alberta picked up sheriffs, I'm going to say 2006. I'm not sure when we had them in Peace River, but I believe we have 10 at the courthouse. And I believe you have four officers in, in where you and Dave are located. So it's 14 members there. Uh, I, so I, again, thinking of your priorities, that's that's a substantial increase in manpower. So has, has crime went up that much that, you know, our 12 numbers that we pay for on the town side, and then there's 12 on the provincial side, and then I believe an Aboriginal position as well, but has crime went up that much that, like there's 14 more people. Uh, he's, he's, probably going to, he's probably gonna answer you, Mr. Needham, by saying, no, that's how much it's gone down by. Oh, well. <laughs> well, well, so I, 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 I guess without getting into, you know, I, I, I guess Dave and Jesse, it's, there's lots of work for everybody out there. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe Mr. Parker asked a question about the interface between the, our peace officers. So I guess, you know, maybe we need to invite the Solicitor General's in, but uh, can you talk a little bit about your interaction and uh, what has that done to reduce costs? Is that well, well, I think I think when they looked at the sheriff program, you know, and this is my opinion, and I'll say this because I have almost 30 years of service, um, I think they jumped the gun because they hired all these sheriffs not really knowing the limitations of their powers. For example, um, the sheriffs can't enforce criminal code. They can't respond. They can't deal with impaired drivers. Now with the new legislation, they can, but again, they, they need the training. So they created, you know, uh, the sheriff entity and the uh, they, they felt like the tiered policing model would be cheaper long run. So in the end, what they did was when they created some of the sheriff positions, what they failed to do is supplement the RCP positions. So that's how they came about with the funding for the sheriffs. And then I think where they got caught is they realized basically we have a bunch of sheriffs that um, can only do a limited thing and that was traffic enforcement. Um, like for example, if they ran into a warrant, they couldn't, uh, they'd have to call us. If they ran into an impaired driver, have to call us um, on on the prisoner end of it, it 
it, it made sense to me that they would have, you know, uh, they would take care of the prisoners because they, you need less training, right? You don't need like carbine training, rapid deployment training, you know, all that training that comes with being a peace officer. You're basically escorting prisoners. So financially, that to me, that made sense. Um, I think now they're kind of backpedaling on the sheriff positions. I see them eliminate the odd sheriff position and give us a bounty as opposed to that because I think when you get an RCP value, I know I sound biased, but you get more value because we can do more things. Yeah, when you have a sheriff, they can only do so many things and predominantly it's traffic for now. Yeah, just to speak to that. So the, the three members that are posted out of Peace Server Detachment, they work uh, in conjunction with our, our traffic services, which has one member currently. So, oh, uh, so the, the limitations of the sheriffs uh, is that they do traffic enforcement only as it currently stands. Uh, and then the ones in the courthouse, of course, are providing security to the courthouse and, and managing the prisoner transfers and whatnot. Uh, so in terms of what they're, uh, you know, contributing to, to dealing with rural crime, for example, as it currently stands, I mean, their, their, their interactions within the justice system are limited to traffic enforcement and, uh, and prisoner handling and management as it currently stands. Thanks, uh, thanks guys. Ms. Manzer. Um, so I just wanna go back to um, this forensic service business and um, the comment made that, uh, okay, a decision will have to be made perhaps uh, in say a sexually assault case, whether or not to collect evidence whatever however i'm supposed to say that is that what i heard yeah and, and really at the end of it we we would likely in every sexual assault case mm -hmm. probably pull for dna because that's a pretty significant person's crime mm -hmm. it might affect us if we get a property crime where we might have some dna and we'd look at it okay you know the garage was broken into and uh, maybe some tools were stolen maybe the suspect cut himself on a window as he broke it are we yeah. going to spend six thousand so thousand dollars in DNA testing okay. for a minor property crime. Okay, so also tied into my question on this, um, I understand that um, Victim Services is experiencing some uh, downgrading of funding from, I think, the province. So to me, these things kind of all tie together and uh, long-term um, look at things, uh, they might be going down a rabbit hole that they shouldn't. But anyways, we, we do have our MLA, I think, speaking with us tonight. So might be bringing up the subject. <laughs> yeah, he might be here for a while. Um, yeah, go ahead. Go. Jesse? Yeah, those are decisions that are made by Solicitor General in the province, and they just get downloaded to us. I mean, that's that's a reality. Right. Um, before we up, um, are you going to do any um, water fleecing this summer? That's our plan. Um, what happened is we, we only have one or two boat operators right now, um, but that is our plan to do uh, more uh, water fleecing. Um, as soon as I get an opportunity, we used to do a lot of bike patrols, your worship in the town, and uh, that used to get us a lot of mileage. But again, you know, as a mountain, you just can't jump on a bike and pedal it down the street. We have to get training. So uh, I want to try and arrange for that training. Um, we have ATVs now. We have, uh, we have quads. We have snowmobiles. Um, we want to try and hit every one of those aspects to some extent with some patrols. 
right? Just, just, uh, just to reward the people that are, you know, following the rules and following the laws. And then of course, deal with some of the other issues, deal with the individuals who aren't, you know, boating safely or drinking or those kind of things. Well, um, I should let you know that we are looking to uh, refurbish the uh, north end uh, boat ramp this summer. Okay. And I think that's uh, probably a better uh, um, put in point for for you, uh, for the RCMP boat, as well as the uh, search and rescue and and uh, fire fire department uh, vehicles. All right, excellent. Anyone have any last questions for Dave or Jesse? I just have one. Uh, the Fish and Wildlife uh, are they? Uh, I, I saw an earlier report later on in our um, agenda where fish and wildlife might be augmenting also and doing some investigations. Can you talk about that really quickly? So, so what, what, what we did, Chris, is we ran this, this past month, I think Dave, we ran like an exercise just to kind of test, you know, our training and our compatibility and those sort of things. I don't think they'll necessarily be investigating as much as they'll be assisting us um, because what's happening is, for example, is if we have a containment call or we have um, a high priority call, like say, um, because of the rural area we do, right? So. I'll give you a, a perfect examples. We had, um, uh, and, and the sheriffs are supposed to be going that direction too, but we had uh, a domestic in a rural area at one point where the victim was being strangled or assaulted by the offender. And we had a fish and wildlife and a sheriff close by and they couldn't respond because they're not trained to. So the province realized, hey, this, this doesn't make sense, right? I mean, to have a, because RCP officers got to cover big distances. So they came up with a, what they call the closest car policy and they've recognized that hey we have trained law enforcement that can sometimes help the police in these situations and everything from search and rescue to containment to property crime to pursuits but the problem when it comes with that comes a whole bunch of training right and a lot of the training that we have to go under is a result of reviews for example like uh, if we expect fish and wildlife to respond to a violent crime and help us contain the person then they're expected to be carbine trained rapid deployment trained so the province is slowly bringing that on. And I'm not sure if the province will realize, hey, it might be cheaper to hire more Mounties or, you know, their province is gonna have to discover that on their own because it's, it's a good idea in principle and 100% we need assistance in certain things. Um, it's just trying to decide what, what they're gonna allow them to do. And just to speak to that, uh, yeah, from what we understand, the uh, go live date for the first phase of RAPID, which includes fish and wildlife officers, uh, will be April 1st. So basically, uh, how they would be utilized by us at the detachment is if, uh, you know, we have a high priority call and uh, there might be some tra travel time associated with that, we can reach out to Fish and Wildlife and see if there's an officer in the area that's available, uh, just to assist with uh, first response to the call, right, until we're able to arrive. So that's, from what I understand, uh, basically how we plan on utilizing them. And we had done a, a mock scenario a couple of weeks back in one of our rural areas, uh, just to test the compatibility of our radios and uh, the ability for us to share information, communicate with one another, and everything went well. So, uh, and and one final question, and I'm sorry, Your Worship, about dragging this out, but um, uh, our peace officers do, uh, you know, about uh, forty percent uh, traffic, sixty percent bylaw. Um, I believe them doing traffic assists you guys. Are you? Do you feel that, first of all, that's good for them to do it and it assists you? And then I have one quick follow-up on that. 
Um, I, I think it is because in, 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 in truth, we're so tied up with higher risk files. Like we're, we're juggling priorities. And as much as we like to do traffic and we do a certain portion of traffic, we're like PSERVER is a, a, a fairly busy detachment. And a lot of our priorities, domestics, uh, disturbed peace, mental health, those sorts. So it's very taxing on resources. And it's great to have them take that part of it for us. Okay, that's good. And then the second part of it is, um, Minister Madhu's office has sent a letter to the um, uh, Peace Officers uh, Association. Basically, um, it was a veiled threat of taking away their ability to do traffic enforcement. So I'm kind of uh, concerned about that. And if they were to do that uh, across the province, I think that'd be detrimental to the RCMP. And so I think just the way that you responded right now that it, it does assist them, I think the province needs to really look at that. And um, uh, Mr. Madhu, uh, Minister Madhu needs to uh, just have a rethink. Thank you. Yeah. And on that note, uh, I, I thank you, gentlemen. Uh, and we will welcome Mr. Uh, Williams. Thank you, Your Worship. Thank you, Your Worship. Hey, Jesse. You, you can stay in the audience if you're if you're interested. We got a full agenda for you. We're down to five percent battery life, so. <laughs> Good excuse, Mr. Williams. Are you there? Your Worship, I am. Great. It's all right with you. I'm on the road, so to oh. save bandwidth, I'm going yes. to keep the video off. And save you all. I, I have more of a face for radio than anything, so we'll just skip that and go straight to the audio. Okay. Um, uh, we have you speaking to seven points here, uh, but I'm going to ask you to start out with uh, point zero first. And that, uh, could you just uh, uh, just give us a quick update on uh, on the. Uh, on the stage three reopening or not reopening today? Yeah, so the Minister of Health uh, announced today uh, after uh, an emergency cabinet committee meeting, COVID cabinet committee meeting, that we will not be moving forward uh, to step three uh, of the reopening strategy due to a number of different factors. Uh, criteria was that uh, we'd be yes under 300 for step three but also be on a downward trajectory in terms of hospitalizations. And the last eight days have seen increases. Uh, and I want to believe that it is uh, nothing but a blip, but uh, the fear would be we reopen and within one, two, three days, sometime this week, we end up closing again um, those, same, uh, those same services. Uh, we saw it on uh, a definitive upward trend so the government uh, made this decision. I uh, am continuing to advocate for safely lessening restrictions as soon as possible. Uh, and I think that uh, there could be space for a regional approach as well. Well, uh, Mr. Williams, I, I want to assure you that uh, at least three, if not four council members have been, been doing their bit to uh, break the lockdown uh, by getting their vaccines last week. Okay. Congratulations to everyone. <laughs> Glad to hear. We got to get more of those uh, vaccines out for those who want to take them. Uh, I think it uh, it's uh, 
primary in the uh, in the COVID response. Top of top of the uh, agenda for me is making sure folks who want uh, to get those shots can do so. Good. I think we need to uh, sort of target seventy to eighty uh, percent uh, coverage. So, okay. So the uh, the first item actually on the list was, uh, uh, and I'm I'm assuming that you or Angela put the list together. So uh, the first item was a flood control trailer for Northwest Alberta. Yeah, I think this was your guys's list to me. Um, oh, is that right, Mr. Parker? <laughs> well, I, I'm not sure where it came from. I'm happy to speak to it and any other issues that come up. I'll try and keep my answers short so we can get to any follow-up questions or other issues. So okay. I've spoken to the minister's office regarding the flood trailers. It's, as you guys know, at the Northern Alberta elected leaders meeting, um, there was a, uh, a request that came out wondering why we couldn't have one of the, I believe, three province-wide um, flood trailers in the north. Um, so the minister uh, agreed. So we do have one moved out of the south and positioning to the north. It's not yet been decided what community in the north uh, it will go to. I'm obviously advocating for a northwest community. Um, Peace River, I think, would be great and central for obvious reasons. Um, but, uh, but leave that one for me to continue advocating. But one of the flood trailers is being moved up to Northern Alberta. I've also suggested to the minister, it's a big Northern Alberta and maybe we need another one or two on top of that. Uh, and I wasn't sure the cost and I understand that they have budget uh, criteria to meet. So something that should be considered heavily um, given the cost of flooding uh, and how um, these early response trailers can have a huge impact. Uh, with the tiger dams and all the resources they hold. Uh, so I've, I'm going to continue to advocate not only for the redeployment of it to Peace River in particular, though I'm glad we have the wind of, uh, of a flood trailer in the north. Uh, I also think it's worthwhile to invest in more from the province's side. So if you guys have follow-up questions, I'm happy to answer them. Otherwise, I'm happy to go on to the next, next topic. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that we put this list together. Um, I do think... Um, I, I need to write a letter to uh, uh, Minister, is it Rick Taves? Oh, no, um, who's the uh, transportation minister? Rick McIver, you got Rick it. Rick McIver, yeah, I got half the name right. Um, particularly his uh, point about uh, uh, flood damage and, uh, and flood recovery monies. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, uh, and I'm glad to see Ryan Konowalik is on the on the uh, call. Um, I think when Mr. Uh, Mr. MacGyver uh, made his statement about we need to put some onus on the municipalities in terms of uh, uh, flood control, we can't be uh, we. Uh, well, cer certainly some responsibilities in trying to uh, be proactive in terms of addressing floods. What um, I don't think uh, Mr. McIver quite caught the, uh, the, there are some nuances uh, around hydrology, particularly here in Peace River. And the last two floods that we've had here, uh, Dan, as you know, uh, are from Pat's Creek. Um, and we feel that uh, a good part of that, uh, 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 
one, one particular reason for that is uh, some of the Alberta transportation works that have been going up on top of the hill here, uh, particularly uh, in large culverts, uh, taking out uh, taking out some uh, natural protective uh, holdup areas like beaver dams, that sort of thing, and then of course combining that with um, rural municipalities' desire to uh, help their farming community out by by uh, ensuring that there's quick drainage in the spring so they can get on the uh, get on their land. The problem with that is we end up, uh, we're downstream and uh, nobody thinks of us and uh, until the waters start rising in our streets. And uh, Mr. MacGyver needs to put in some, uh, have Alberta Transportation put in some protective measures to help us control these, uh, call them flash floods. I think when he was thinking about uh, getting municipalities to take more responsibilities for floods, he was thinking uh, in a very traditional aspect where you have, uh, where you have a river running through a community and uh, the large river overflows its banks. But this isn't the case in this community. Uh, I don't think we've, I don't remember the last time, probably the early 90s, when the uh, town flooded from the town, from the uh, Peace River itself. So um, we will, uh, you can give uh, Rick a heads up for me, from me, that there'll be a letter coming uh, that we need, really need to talk about this. And also, uh, the design standard of one in a hundred year flood, uh, because if we come into a one in 250 year flood event, um, we'd certainly uh, we'd we'd certainly expect help, and uh, as would uh, the residents of the town of Peace River. No, uh, I appreciate that. If, if I can just reply quickly. Yeah. Uh, I think you're exactly right. The minister wasn't thinking of the town of Peace River or its unique circumstances in terms of his comments. Uh, and uh, there, there are other circumstances across the province where we see people rebuilding um, different homes and in areas that we are sure to see flood again soon. Uh, recreational properties, low-lying lands next to um, large bodies of water. Uh, like you said, with the spring runoff, it's a different situation. I'm happy to continue to advocate on this one. I, I think you're exactly right that it's unique. And I'm happy to try and bring some of that nuance, as you suggested, to the minister, um, who I find generally pretty receptive when he's presented with a reasonable position. So yeah. uh, please do send the letter, uh, copy me, and I'm happy to give him a heads up. And and I do, I do want to actually say uh, that I do agree with his philosophy that um, people and municipalities do need to take a little more uh, proactive responsibility in trying to prevent floods and, uh, and mitigate them. Uh, um, so the second item here, Dan, was letter from Reeve Ungarian regarding Site C Dam. 
And I think Elaine Manzer must have uh, put this on the agenda. Yes, it came also from the Northern elected leaders. Uh, so Dan, it was uh, Reva Garian who um, brought this topic up at that meeting. And uh, basically he was concerned about some uh, reports of um, unstable uh, land under the dam where it's being built. And basically the, the question go forward is, um, is, Alberta, is the Alberta provincial government aware of that? Have they had talks with the BC government? Is there a real concern or not? No, I appreciate the question, um, Councillor. And if I can give you a bit of an update. Um, I also spoke to Rivangarian and his council about this um, and give them an update. Minister Nixon did meet with BC Hydro uh, and the BC government a number of times over the past years. And uh, we had some conversations uh, during the environmental assessment on Dam C. The Governor of Alberta provided information about impacts to our environment and infrastructure, downstream effects. Uh, following the assessment process, the government of BC and Canada approved Site C Dam with conditions uh, to address Alberta's downstream concerns. Uh, some of those conditions uh, are BC Hydro has to work with the government of Alberta to develop an adaptive management plan to mitigate potential risks. Uh, that includes infrastructure and stakeholders downstream, such as the town of Peace River, um, caused by low water or high water um, at different points in the year. Um, in accordance with the Canadian Dam Association guidelines, BC Hydro uh, safety program, BC Hydro must conduct an assessment of the impacts of multiple cascading breaches, share the results with the government of Alberta, allow uh, authorities um, uh, to be uh, consulted and have input in that. Uh, they have to work with us on emergency management and communication on contingency plans. Uh, this and a number of other uh, of their um, of their conversations have led us to feel as though they're they're following through on their public transparent commitments they've made, uh, and uh, and that we're going to continue in conversation with them to make sure that any concerns that our downstream stakeholders have, particularly communities like Peace River, which not only um, thrive off the Peace River itself, but uh, but are right next to it, so have uh, obviously uh, big consequences. Uh, to our infrastructure, never mind our economy. So um, I, I'm happy to keep you guys in the loop as more of these conversations happen. But as of right now, um, rest assured that the minister is um, following up um, with uh, with BC Hydro and the government of BC on any potential uh, cascading breaks or uh, emergency management planning that would have to happen. Thanks. No, thank you for the question. Your Worship, just a quick follow up to that comment, uh, if that's possible. Yeah. So thank you, Mr. Williams. Uh, you know, uh, Your Worship, Mr. Tarpey talked about being downstream from Northern Sunrises area and the impacts on the town of Peace River. Being downstream from Site C Dam is a little bit more daunting. So I just thought I'd throw that on the table right there. Thank you. Absolutely. No, I appreciate that. And it's good context for sure. Um, so uh, I think uh, I think Dan answered that fully. So the third item uh, on this list was Senate and referendum questions for October election. 
Now, I appreciate the question, which is basically when will we know the details of what's going to be on that ballot, I, I think is the gist of it. And uh, the Senate, I think there's a timeline in the Election Act that I um, that is further down the line. Uh, certain parties, for example, I know the Conservative Party holds nominations um, before they put a name on the ballot if they're going to run associated with a party. So we don't have names and details for those yet. Um, but as they come up, I'm happy to inform the council and the constituency at large. Uh, and in terms of the details for the referendum, um, in broad strokes, it's going to be a, a referendum on equalization, uh, as the premier has made a commitment to publicly a number of times, uh, including during the election campaign. But uh, exactly the wording of that will have to be decided by cabinet according to the act. Uh, and uh, we haven't had that um, information released yet. So. I guess the only answer is hang tight for now. Um, I'm happy to get you guys in for as soon as I hear about it. They're uh, probably waiting for you, uh, Mr. Williams, to join the cabinet to come up <laughs> with the uh, Very kind, empty flattery like that is gonna get you places <laughs> in politics. Uh, so the uh, fourth item was recap of small business supports program. Okay, so I'm happy to give you guys uh, as much of an update as I can. The government of Alberta uh, provided a half a billion dollar for this program, 500 million. Um, that uh, has a deadline um, coming up and let's see if I have the deadline for that. Um, but, uh, but it's for um, small and medium sized uh, businesses for a relaunch grant uh, that can get up to $20,000. Um, and the requirement is that your business had to have been curtailed um, or closed due to uh, COVID restrictions and lost at least 30% of your uh, income. Uh, so uh, as a result of that, if you think that you or your business or someone you know's business might be um, interested in applying. The deadline is the 31st of this month. So uh, we have to get that out in the community. If businesses haven't accessed it, I want to make sure that they can as much and as widely as possible. Reach out to my office, Angela, my office or myself, we'll get in touch with you right away and make sure that we connect you immediately uh, with the Ministry of Jobs, Economy uh, and uh, Jobs, Economy, and Development uh, and Innovation. I think it is, I can never keep the ministry name right. So uh, we're happy to get you that. Um, and any other information that we can source from provincial or even federal programs to support small and medium-sized businesses, we're happy to direct you towards those, um, those details. So um, I'm gonna ask Ms. Downing, are you uh, going to the Chamber of Commerce this week or? Uh, your Worship. Uh, myself, Councillor Good, and Councillor Scamhorn have been in contact with Community Futures and with the Chamber, and we're, we're working on bringing a plan um, to Council. We just need a little bit more time to sort of uh, hammer it out. Um, as it relates to the, um, excuse me, to the Small Businesses Supports Program, that's all tied into our discussion. Are enough businesses accessing it? Is there a barrier to accessing it? I know that the chamber is also actively pursuing their own membership to make sure that people are aware of what's available. Is that what you're asking, Your Worship? Yeah, well, um, yeah, if, uh, 
well, as, as Dan said, was uh, get these businesses that you think would qualify uh, to contact Angela and, uh, and uh, she'll probably help step them through the paperwork. And Your Worship, I did write a note down about that too. Uh, I will reach that out to the chamber tomorrow and uh, remind them that uh, Mr. Williams' office is available to provide the support should people need it. My usual uh, rule of thumb is make application and let somebody else deny you. Don't deny yourself. Okay. Spoken yeah. like a, a former uh, bureaucrat. <laughs> um, very good. Um, did you, Worship, anyone have a question there? Of uh, Yeah. Uh, I'm just wondering, uh, Your Worship, sorry about that. Uh, Mr. Williams, uh, the program uh, that you were talking about, uh, there is um, some limitations to it so we had a individual business that actually rents from our facility but because they rented from our facility they were not qualified yet they had to close down um is there any way to deal with that or or, or that was the federal program i think but um well if it is a result of uh, any decisions that they made provincially um then i'm happy to follow up with that particular business uh, Mr. Parker, why don't you connect with me offline about any particular cases? Sure. Uh, and I make it a habit of following up in the minister's office with any outstanding um, businesses uh, or cases that, that aren't closed in the way that we hope they will. So if someone's not getting funds and they should be, or they plausibly should be, I will continue to follow up on their behalf. Okay. Uh, yeah, actually, um, no, it was the federal one. They weren't eligible for the federal funding, uh, but they were eligible for the provincial. So I don't know if you can, I guess they'd have to go to our MP for that. Sorry about that. Yeah. No, no, that's fine. I appreciate you bringing it up. Thank you. Um, so any other questions of uh, Dan on that particular subject matter? If not, I will, uh, uh, I have a number five bridge rehabilitation project. This is the original highway bridge and redecking, I take it. Yeah, so um, contrary to any misconception, um, we, we're spending a record amount of money on infrastructure in, in our stimulus spending this year. $2 billion program went out, a huge amount of that to rural Alberta. That includes what I think is a, and I think Mr. Conowall can correct me, somewhere in the neighborhood of a $40 million uh, bridge rehabilitation uh, with um, the decking and painting and I'm sure a lot of other um, rehabilitation going on and it is continuing on um uh, the brian, uh, the commitment has been made and it's not going to change brian didn't you tell me it was 50 uh no it's not 50 no sir um, i can i can give more details later uh okay. after, after mla williams is done <laughs> okay Ryan, I think that was his uh, attempt at a little negotiation, try and wedge the two of us, but we're on the same page. <laughs> okay. Proposed Alberta Provincial Police Force. Sure, happy to address it. Uh, right now, uh, the Fair Deal panel um, did a report that suggested this is one of the possible um, outcomes that could come for getting a fair deal for Alberta. The the question for us as a government is we have to better understand the implications of the cost particularly. Uh, so what we've asked is uh, third party um, 
uh, accounting group, PricewaterhouseCooper, who are internationally known, to do a review and audit of what it could cost. Uh, and that report is due back to us sometime this spring. Once we have that, it'll be much easier to be able to make substantial policy decisions and directions and get some substantive input from folks. Um, my understanding is a lot of uh, municipalities are concerned. They said, if there is an increase in cost of operating provincial police force, where does that come from? And the concern would be uh, something that uh, it would end up being a, a higher burden on the municipalities. Um, that's not my intention uh, with it. To be honest, I want to see what the, what the report says before we go further into it. I think there's a lot of good arguments to be made for a, a um, provincial police force. You see other major provinces, Quebec, Ontario, and others have it as well. Uh, there, there are some efficiencies you get by going in with the federal government, but there are a lot of, I mean, uh, it, it would come as no surprise that uh, the RCMP at times um, can be politicized as a force. Uh, and I think having um, a, a, a police force that responds um, to the interests of us as a province uh, and uh, makes those priorities clear, I think are, uh, is, is a priority for me. I have a huge amount of respect for the individual um, privates and officers um, who work in policing across the province. Uh, and uh, I would want them to be a part of any conversation. But, uh, but I am concerned sometimes in the way that some RCMP, um, higher RCMP officials can talk uh, and the direction they take. So I think it's worthwhile looking into it. Uh, Deputy Mayor Manzer has a question. Um, two points. <clears throat> One, um, I'm hoping that this um, panel that's looking into the uh, costs also considers exactly where these officers would come from, or from to, um, take positions in a political or a provincial police force. Um, second point, you mentioned politicizing. So um, we get the politics from the federal government. We probably get the politics from the provincial government uh, in the same way, just lower down the echelon a little bit. That's just a comment. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll just add a comment that uh, having gone to the RCMP training depot in Regina, it would be pretty expensive and, and difficult to, uh, to duplicate that uh, just for the province. Uh, they, they do a good job there. Um, so if I- No, I, I appreciate that. And I, uh, I, I look at a lot of these municipalities that have had incredibly good results with their municipal police forces at a much smaller scale than the province would be having. Uh, and uh, because of the nature of how they do community policing, there really is a heightened ability to get involved in community um, and not have people moving in and out all the time. Uh, we can even look at something like Edmonton and Calgary, but Edison Hat, I think, has the longest serving municipal police force in the province. Uh, with an incredibly high quality of, of um, police officers there. Often folks would want to leave the RCMP uh, or other jurisdictions uh, where they're working, other police forces, just to serve in a community like that. And I think it would be similar um, potentially for some real upside. Uh, so th those are things that I think we have to look at fairly. We absolutely do have to look at those fairly and, and understand the costs, the trade-offs, because I think you guys are right. There needs to be consideration of where they are, where it is and where it isn't the benefit uh, and take a sober analysis of that. Okay. I will uh, go to the uh, seventh and last item here, 
proposed timeline for completion of the Grand Prairie Hospital. I think uh, that must have been from the mayor of uh, Grand Prairie, that, that item. Actually, it's from your deputy mayor who has that recent experience of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, there we go. Were, were you still um, in the old one when you got your uh, <laughs> Yes, uh, Mr. Williams, I had a lovely experience. Four bedroom, bathroom not accommodating, wheelchair, and uh, looking across out the window. Um, gee, there's a nice new hospital over there that seems to be bogged down in uh, getting ready for uh, patients. I understand that... Um, there is a computer program that may be part of why uh, things have slowed down. People need to be trained on it before they can move over. But anyways, my whole point is it's time. The hospital's going to be old. Um, maybe Lacrete Bridge will be built before the, we get in the hospital. I would hate to see that, but um, it just some angst out there about that hospital and its timelines. I appreciate that, Deputy Mayor, uh, and I'm happy to give you some uh, some insight. The, the province finished with infrastructure, completing the construction of the hospital last year. And uh, what is normal for commissioning the hospital is HS take possession or whoever the regional health authority is, take possession. And understandably, the last thing we want to do is uh, is be having uh, this uh, open up in a way where there um, are um, processes or particularly equipment that isn't ready. So it normally takes um, six months to a year uh, for AHS to when it finally gets possession to let's put it this way, make it their home <laughs> and get all of the incredibly high functioning important healthcare equipment uh, 21st century healthcare equipment working to the highest standard and the processes sorted out. So it is on track since we've taken government, we finished the infrastructure and the build side um, in the timelines that we committed. Uh, and now we are in a spot where AHS will be opening up, I believe this fall uh, for new inpatients. So I, I agree with the angst, I'm concerned as well. I'm a resident in an area that uh, needs to see a strong regional presence uh, from Grand Prairie Hospital for my own health needs and my family's too. So it's not lost on me. I agree. My understanding is that we're on track to have it open up this fall. Great. Um, Your Worship? Yes. So uh, thank you for that feedback, uh, Mr. Williams. However, um, being in a community that has a clinic, a healthcare facility ourselves that AHS has not taken over. I am very concerned about where the, the hospital is. And um, I suspect we'll be following up with this again. Uh, I will personally in the fall, should that not take place? Because we, we are personally experiencing in our, in our community, the situation where AHS has not taken it over. And I don't mean to be disrespectful about that. I just mean to be clear. No, I appreciate that for sure. Um, and I'm happy to come back and um, eat humble pie uh, and be the loudest in the chorus amongst us, um, demanding that AHS stick to its timelines and complete it. Um, maybe we should get uh, Tyler and, uh, and Ryan building the bridge to do the hospital. They'll get that thing opened on time and on budget. But no, I, I appreciate that. And, and if it is open, 
um, uh, in the fall, I imagine you and council will be the first to be very happy to see it actually stick to that timeline too. So I think it goes both ways and you guys are coming at it from a, a very appreciated place where you want healthcare. Um, and uh, and no, I, I share frustrations at time with AHS too, um, but uh, they are our largest health partner and um, I have no choice but to do my very best to work with them and try and find the wins where I can. And I've, I have found some wins and I'm hoping that this will be another one. I'm hoping to. Thank you. Um, Mr. Mayor, do we get to add the, the one item that came up in a previous presentation? Sure. Okay, uh, Mr. Williams, we had a presentation just now from our um, local RCMP and um, our CAO informed us during this uh, presentation that the province is, uh, I'm gonna use the word downloading um, forensic uh, service costs to um, some municipalities. They have some sort of averaging going on or whatever. However, um, this was a surprise to our municipality to get a bill. It also brings up the point, uh, do the local RCMP have to start prioritizing some uh, investigations that they do? Uh, could be DNA from property crimes, that kind of thing. Do they not do it? Because oh, it's gonna cost the municipality something. So were you aware of that? Thank you for the question. I heard the conversation, at least in part, while I was driving on the road um, earlier. So uh, if you guys would like, I'm happy to try and get you guys uh, full information on that. Uh, I don't have it for me, uh, for you, uh, my fingertips right now. So uh, I'm afraid I can't give you more substantive answer, but I appreciate the question and I understand where the concern is coming from. Um, so if it's right with you, uh, at your discretion, I'll get back to you with some details and information on it for our next meeting. I think that would be helpful and in, in also ties in with another point that we've been made aware of at several meetings lately in that uh, victim services, that whole fund is uh, seemingly being decreased um, at this point in time. And um, we have a concern there. We have lots of victims that need the help that uh, that um, particular program uh, gave to them. And if it's uh, downgraded, taken away, it is a concern. Yeah, no, I, uh, I appreciate that. And I'm happy to report that the fund has not been downgraded or taken away. The vic Victims of Crime uh, Fund is continuing on. Uh, what we have done is allowed enabling legislation to let um, different things such as the alert team uh, in part be funded in rural communities uh, by that. Uh, and the goal here is to uh, serve victims and also reduce the number of victims. So all of the dollars in that fund are going towards uh, important initiatives that I think every municipality I've spoken to support those initiatives continuing on. Um, and we're gonna continue to fund the local um, victim services uh, community uh, boards uh, in the work that they do. And I know I've spoken with a number of them in the area. And if there's anyone who would like to speak to me again uh, or my office, um, I'm, I'm very happy to do so. And, and just one more, uh, uh, Mr. Williams, is is uh, the traffic fines that our peace officers issue out. Uh, basically, it started off, we got about 65% of the funding, uh, or sorry, 85% of the funding. Then it went down to about 65. Now it's around 45. And this is another way it's not downloading, but what they're doing is they're taking away a revenue source. Um, and it, it costs us uh, quite a bit of money to put the peace officers uh, out there. And what they do is 
We've been able to have really good bylaw enforcement by supplementing this. Um, otherwise, we only had one individual. So um, it's kind of frustrating just to see without any cause or uh, any explanation. They're saying, sorry, this is what your new fee is going to uh, get for cost recovery. And uh, um, it's, uh, it, it's very difficult because we, as you heard earlier with the RCMP, we are actually helping them by uh, taking away one of their, their positions. Because you, you can have an RCMP officer who's making a, uh, and it costs us a, a quite a considerable uh, six figures basically to hire for each peace officer. And it's well below that for a peace officer. And to have a, a police officer, RCMP officer doing traffic um, when they could be doing the, the, the other important uh, uh, issues of crime investigation. Um, this is just a, a frustrating download as uh, we kind of like look at there. So uh, this needs to be brought back up uh, the, the, to the cabinet table and, and re-looked at. I appreciate the input. Thank you, Mr. Parker. Yeah, Dan, downloading costs and uploading revenue. I bet you've never heard that one before. <laughs> I wish we had a bit more of that uploading going on, but no, I appreciate the concerns. Okay, good. Uh, That's why that bridge costs 50 million, not 40. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay. Um, I, I think that's the list um, with a couple of uh, ad hoc uh, interjections. Um, so I thank you for your time, Mr. Williams and Ms. Kobik. Oh, Mr. Good here has his hand up. I think he wants to ask a question. Yeah, just, just one comment and, and a compliment, uh, Dan. I think. Um, people may not be aware of this. I'm one of the people that was lucky enough to get the vaccination on Saturday along with my wife. And um, I think you're, I think you have to be commended. And I'm not sure if a lot of people are aware that Alberta has the highest, second highest percentage of delivered vaccines that have been delivered to the province that have gotten to their population. And that's all the more impressive because it's about, I think, the third or fourth highest number of dosages delivered to a province and you've managed to, to deliver 92% and there's going to be another 70,000 this week. And I just think sometimes you don't get thank yous and you don't get comments when things are going well, but I think in, in this term, I think the province has done extremely well. So thank you. Thank you, sir. Of course, the minister and the premier have made that a priority. And as soon as we can get those vaccines, we get them into folks' arms who are willing to take them. So uh, we're, we're very, very conscientious of our initiative to do that. So, and congratulations on your vaccine, I guess. Um, yes. Well, thank you, Mr. Williams, for your time. Um, uh, you can still stay on the Zoom call if you want, uh, but we have Mr. Ryan Connor Wallach from uh, from Alberta Transportation, making a presentation. Hello, everybody. And you're in the office still. I'm in the office. Yeah. Um, I don't so much have a presentation as um, as perhaps maybe just to give a bit of an update. <clears throat> excuse me, and um, and then take any questions. Um, so the two big ones obviously are the new Peace River Bridge. Um, we've got the bridge opened in the fall and uh, there's a bit of work to do to tie, tie 98th Street back off the, the mini roundabout underneath um, 
this summer. So the idea would be that flat iron AECON would be probably done all of that work by August. Um, the more immediate work that would happen would be um, we really accelerated our schedule late last year to get 98th opened um, with the new big roundabout and, and have an access um, down towards the co-op uh, for back and forth traffic. Um, but we didn't finish that. We need to put a second lift on and clean it up and, and actually get that done. So that'll happen pretty quick here once the frost is out of the ground so that we have um, good passage between the north and the south side of town. Um, because obviously, as everybody's known and probably heard from some of the residents, River Road has been shut down for quite a long time and will continue to be shut down for, for a while. And uh, that'll tie me over to probably the existing Peace River Bridge Deck Rehab. Uh, that was not part of the original capital plan uh, as part of budget 2019, let's say. Um, the government, uh, the, the current government uh, was looking for some economic stimulus projects, obviously with COVID and, and all of this here last year. And uh, we decided to accelerate the rehab of the I'm looking out my, my window because I can see the arches of the bridge from my from my window. So um, so we did it. We were able to accelerate that and, and the government has invested in in that as part of this economic stimulus. What that meant, though, was that the original plan kind of went out the window. The original plan was to finish the new bridge. Have it open with the old bridge open for at least two years. Uh, during which time we would tell the utility proponents who have utilities on the old bridge to get their utilities off of the bridge because we need to do a deck rehab and get them over on the new one. And we, were, we would basically say you have two years to do this. Uh, what we did instead when this um, came up and the government was looking for job creation, we said, okay, we're going to take on controlling the timeline of the utility moves. It'll be utility cost, the utility proponent cost, but we're gonna jam it in and get these utilities moved as quickly as possible so that we can accelerate the deck rehab to meet the mandate of job creation. That's why River Road has been closed and it ties to both projects. Um, going to the original project with the new bridge um, we would probably have River Road opened already because we wouldn't have to worry about moving the utilities. Um, once that happened, uh, we had to kind of balance. So right now we could probably have the new bridge contractor, uh, the joint venture of Flatiron Con, have that all done in June. And then we would come with the new bridge contractor with giant cranes and wreck everything we just did while we do the deck rehab on River Road. So I know it's an inconvenience for people and probably an inconvenience for administration and elected officials to listen because I also go to grocery stores and before COVID the arena and hear some of the complaints. But um, this is really a good news story. I mean, there's a lot of investment on infrastructure right here that's uh, keeping people at work and keeping businesses uh, active. So I think maybe what we need to do is, I think I need to maybe do a better job of, of getting some communication out there to say, hey, listen, River Road's gonna be closed until the fall. And here's why. Um, and it's because of 
160 plus million dollar bridge being built and then a 40 million dollar deck rehab happening so that's the background of kind of what's going on um i will uh i will offer to the to the mayor for the 50 million dollar deck rehab so we did close that we did a contractor pre-qualification where we gated in some technically proficient contractors and then we put out a tender to them and took the low bidder off that the low bidder was about 29 and a half million um however when we talked 40 million that's total project cost so typically that would be everything all in contractor engineering land utilities the whole works so when you hear 40 million we're probably actually going to see a bit of a discount on that um but uh it's not you don't compare the 29 and a half million to the 40 million because just the one is just a con contractor cost so um the next bidder was about a million and a half higher and then it kind of escalated from there so the the low bidder is not the current bridge contractor um they were uh in the bidding process but they were not the low bidder so the low bidder is a Fage innovative canada uh, based out in NISCU. Um, so our anticipation is that the current bridge will be done, the existing bridge project will be done sometime sometime in August, obviously weather pending and what's going on. Um, and then the bridge deck rehab will start, you know, this spring uh, with a completion date of fall of 2022. So that's a bit of my ramble. Um, so, I guess uh, open it to questions, Mayor. So the uh, project is, is um, let's call it 40 million and for a year and a half. Yeah, two full construction seasons. Yeah, yeah, okay. for sure. Uh, two full construction seasons, okay. Um, how many uh, job uh, jobs will there be at um, ballpark? Yeah, so like we've had numbers thrown out for the existing Peace River Bridge and, and they kind of try to do a balance of direct and indirect and I just like to build things and and uh, and such but I, I believe and I should probably because this is uh, being recorded I, I should probably defer that answer and maybe get that information directly over to CEO Parker to provide to Council just so I don't mess that one up I, I have the number in my head but I should probably confirm that with my group in Edmonton. Well, it, it certainly will help ease the inconvenience of not having to use River Road if it's a uh, whatever a hundred jobs or. <laughs> it's fun, it's funny because uh, I, I'm not sure if you know I, I know some know and I I believe Deputy Mayor Manzer lives on River Road and I see CEO Parker walking his dog a lot but I mean of anyone who's affected I'm I'm prime time I I have to take an extra 48 seconds to get to work in the morning by using the roundabout so uh, yeah no I, I get it um, I mean my wife gives me a bit of crap for it too here and there so yeah well, well I'm, I'm more interested in the number of jobs so um, okay. the uh, so and given that this is a redecking job um, I would imagine that you would have more manual labor on this job than you had on the last one. Yeah, it's a pretty intense, it's actually a pretty intense job. It's not just the deck. There's a lot of problems underneath the deck um, once we open the deck up. Um, and then obviously 
a lot of the hangers, which are the pieces that go from the deck up to the arches, there's issues there too. So there's, it's going to be a pretty active area. Um, we're obviously going to make sure pedestrians can access the new pedestrian bridge before we rip up the old pedestrian access on the existing bridge. Um, and that'll probably be a key is, you know, despite passenger traffic not having access on River Road, we'll, we'll do our best to maintain pedestrian traffic. Uh, there will be a few times here and there where obviously we're doing overhead work that we'll have to just not allow anybody there. But yeah, um, I would anticipate a lot of work going on here and, and local work. And it's a spinoff for businesses too, if people can go out to the restaurants and maybe there's some hotels and rentals and all that other spinoff stuff. So Yeah, the uh, number we had for the $160 bridge was they were dropping about a million dollars every month in, into the local economy. Do you think that's going to be a similar ballpark uh, number? It, it's tough to say. I mean, one job's quite a bit bigger than the other and, and you know, one spread out over three years and one over two. So um, I would be happy to get that number to CEO Parker to share with, uh, with the elected officials. Okay. Mr. Needham had his hand up here. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. You know, I'm certainly a big supporter of this communication piece that you're talking about. You know, I've had uh, a few calls from uh, one or two business owners, and uh, it hasn't been uh, it hasn't been very pleasant. I think that's my telephone, but hopefully my better half will pick it up here. Um, the uh, the problem is that I, I guess it's the default position is Facebook or it's Catching Colin Needham when he's having his coffee at uh, at D Java Domain on uh, Saturday morning, and and I, I don't have an answer, and uh, uh, it's pretty damn frustrating. And you know what ticks me off is this goes back to November, uh, and here we are March. Having said that, there you've got a good news story here. I don't disagree with uh, you know you can talk about the job, talk about the employment, talk about the trade off, but. I sure hope you got a communications guy that can stitch that together. And I would also encourage you when you do that press release to talk about why, why is it that you can't put a canopy underneath it and open the road up at least with a single lane. And if you, if you can do that, fine, but I presume you're gonna tell me no, but I think you should answer some of those questions. The other question you could maybe talk about is the rehabilitation of that street. I mean, we knew from the start of this construction project that there was the contractor that you've currently got there has got an obligation to do, I would call a major redo on that street. So again, I would presume part of the story is we got to get the project done and then we've got to finish the, uh, the asphalt. So there's, there's lots of elements there and I just would encourage you to stitch them all together. Tell people why it's closed, give them a date, um, you know, certainly the benefits and the jobs. Uh, but it's, it's been frustrating and obviously uh, you've heard about it as well. Uh, I don't think I can add much more, but uh, if, you want, uh, if you want some communication ideas, phone me and I'll, uh, I'll gladly tell you what my thoughts are. Thanks, uh, thanks for listening. Yeah, no, uh, warranted comments 100% and uh, sometimes we don't do a good enough job of um, saying the good news as opposed to, you know, what's bad news, right? Uh, you get a rock in your windshield and you complain, but you drive over a chunk of highway that's had some, some good attention and you don't think too much of it. And 
Um, certainly we could do a better job of communicating out and, and the, you know, the, the town really shouldn't be taking the brunt of this. This is something that's been, um, the consequences are because of our actions and what we're trying to do. And, and you make a good point. It, at the end of the day, it's a really good news story. And we, we need to do a better job of telling that. Um, I will touch on the businesses because uh, I've used uh, Fred's Heating for a long time for a lot of my uh, plumbing and heating needs. And I have to go in there actually probably tomorrow and, uh, and talk to him about a few things. So I'm sure uh, I'll have that chat with, uh, with Randy tomorrow um, and hopefully be able to uh, maybe preact uh, proactively give some of the reasons as opposed to a communications release. So that, Colin and, and I will, uh, I will definitely loop the town in prior to any releases and, and have get us on the same page. And, and definitely we need to take the brunt of people are frustrated. Uh, that should be coming to us for sure. Yeah. The more money you drop in the town, the uh, less people will complain, right? Just remember <laughs> that. Uh, Deputy Mayor. So thank you, uh, Ryan. Um, as has been said, yes, wonderful projects. Um, communication, uh, it's a learning curve. We, we found out in other ways too. Um, I guess uh, two things. One is um, you already mentioned uh, one uh, private business. There's another one next to it that I haven't heard from, but I have heard from the one you mentioned. Um, basically concerned about uh, traffic doesn't drive by and know that there's a heating business there. Um, I'm, I'm wondering just out of the blue, can you put any signage that helps the cause there? I'll just throw that out and let you mull on it. No answer. <laughs> um, the other thing, did I hear that um, River Road will be closed and at some point, uh, in the next uh, little while, as soon as the frost goes, the big roundabout will also have uh, a time period where it'll be worked on? Uh, great question. So I'll, I'll touch the first one. Uh, signage might help. Um, I'll certainly defer to Mr. Buckmeyer on, on that one. And if that's something he, he talks to me about tomorrow, um, you know, typically, a uh, a heating shop is is not a drive-by type business, but uh, certainly I would also be speaking from a bit of a position of ignorance because uh, I, I'm not a business owner, so uh, probably not even appropriate for me to say that. But uh, I'm pretty blunt and, and straightforward, so um, I'll definitely take that under advisement uh, from from him when I chat with him. Uh, the roundabout, yes, so. You might notice when you drive under there that the asphalt's a little bit lower than the concrete curbs and and lower than the actual roundabout itself. So we've got to put another lift asphalt on. You might notice with what's been going on in the weather that it's getting a little bit rough in, on the approaches and stuff. So yeah, we are going to touch that up. Um, it should not result in a full closure. It might result in a day of one lane traffic, uh, alternating one lane traffic or a day um, uh, here and there, uh, the bonus would be that for me, the schools would be not affected. Uh, this would be happening likely after, you know, the bus, the bus traffic. Yeah. Um, you know, we were in a spot there last year where it was really congested on 98th. Uh, you know, we didn't have the roundabouts open and we didn't have river road open. And, uh, 
it wasn't great. I mean, we, we had to do what we had to do to, to move the project along, but uh, that's one of the reasons we really accelerated trying to get 98th open uh, in the fall. Um, you might remember like big tarps being strung down, uh, like we were paving underneath there in the in winter, like heating, heating it so we could do that. So we did take a lot of steps to try and accommodate and make things easier, but uh, Construction is not convenient sometimes, and yeah. and I'm certainly not saying we did everything right and and such, but uh, I think our biggest gap was uh, just communicating what's going on, maybe with especially with River Road. Yeah. So with the roundabout, um, will there be some kind of traffic person helping the cause there? Because that was the difficulty last uh, fall or whenever. That my yeah, my anticipation will be that. Um, it'll be one lane stage traffic with a flagger there. Um, well, we put that final lift asphalt and clean it up and make it uh, better passable. What'll also happen is we'll tie in the former exit ramp as you're coming off the bridge, obviously the old bridge. Um, obviously no one will be using the old bridge, but that piece will kind of get tied up too. Um, and that's what we're kind of anticipating, so. Thank yeah, that, you. Uh, that little piece is a bit steep and I could see if it got icy it might uh, might create a problem but I I do want to comment that uh, I think people already feel even though it's three lanes traffic uh, two going one way and one going uh, this way and the even though the dividing line isn't very well marked I think people already feel safer on that bridge even though you've got uh, everything going across that one bridge I think uh, People seem to, uh, um, yeah, they seem to drive with a little more. The merging confidence. from the the merging from the north is certainly 180 percent better. I was I was going to say a million times better, but you kind of low low uh, went low on me, uh, Deputy <laughs> Mayor. No, I you know I was driving across it on the weekend, and an emergency vehicle was coming across, and people just pulled over a little bit to the right, and it went. This emergency vehicle went by absolutely no problem, obviously. And yeah. on the old bridge, that that would not have happened. So, I would I would have to fully agree with that statement. And I mean, it'll be great in fall of twenty two when they're both open. Yeah, Your Worship. Could... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Mr. I jumped in front of Councillor Scanlon. I'll be very quick here. Uh, so. Uh, uh, Ryan, just on this this roundabout business, so I'll call it the little roundabout at, at the bottom where bumper to bumper is. Is that a permanent structure? That yeah. the, the low the low lip one? Yeah, that uh, it's a it's a mini roundabout. Basically, if you remember before, we only we, you couldn't go two ways. You couldn't go north south. Right. No. I. Right. Yep. So I uh, just so some uh, some retired guy with his holiday trailer comes down and has to make a left turn. I. I, I guess that's why it's that high, is it? Is that the idea that I can I can drive over it? Is that that's actually exactly right? Is that it's to accommodate all them traffic movements, take away the T-bone type situation. But if you really need to, you can um, you can you can, you yeah. can cross it. Okay. You know the intent the intent is obviously that uh, we wouldn't have bigger or bigger loads going down there, but. Uh, you're exactly right. That's the intent, and it's a low profile. You can drive across it, um, just like you said. You can drive right up on it and make that turn. Sure. That, I, sorry for digressing, uh, Your Worship. But that's a final item I would throw in the newsletter because that was one of my other questions from many people that said, 
is that really the finished product? So uh, thanks, uh, thanks again, Ryan. Yeah, you don't see them. You don't see them a whole bunch, but uh, there are a couple. There's a little one in Whitecourt actually on a on a local street that's very similar, and uh, it was probably the best alternative under there. the The other alternative was to leave the kind of one way traffic that was there before, and uh, I personally think that being able to go north, south, south, north is uh, much better, even if you have to put up with that little roundabout. Yeah, especially after you've had some communion wine and you can see the cops there, you can make a quick view. <laughs> Mr. Scamahorn. Uh, sorry, Mr. Conowalik, you've had some rough questions. If you want to come to a parent-teacher interview this week and pitch them back at me, uh, that's fair. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to Judah Hill for you because uh, that's a fairly important egress from town, uh, particularly for the members uh, that live in the South End, and so. Any, any update you can give on that, we'd, we'd certainly appreciate. Well, I wouldn't have to ask too many hard questions uh, about uh, my kid in school because he's, uh, I guess, yeah, he's been doing okay. So I don't have to blame the teacher, even if it was my kid's fault, but uh, no. Uh, so I'll touch on Judah Hill. Um, obviously something that Northern Sunrise also brings up on a, on a fairly regular basis. Uh, the government's invested over $60 million since 1985 into Judah Hill adjusted, uh, obviously to today's dollars. Um, I guess I would, I would be blunt and offer if that was your road, would you invest $60 million in it? And, uh, so I've got to take my local hat off and, and my, and put my provincial hat on, uh, as a local, I love Judah Hill. Uh, we have family pictures done part way up. I, I think it's a great drive. We go that way a lot. Um, as a taxpayer in the province, I'm not sure that's the best spend. So um, having said that, there's obviously been no decisions made and that's probably a decision that uh, the guy talking right now is not gonna make. Um, I can tell you, we don't have any plans right now to spend a bunch of money on Judah, even with the slide that's up at the top. Uh, we're looking at it and I'm just gonna status quo, keep the little mini detour in place. Um, you know, what I, when I met with Northern Sunrise, um, I said to them that uh, I appreciate it. Uh, it's an evacuation route. That's not a provincial responsibility at the end of the day. You know, you know we've got multiple ways out of town. Our, the bridge that's under my control um, hasn't had an issue in it for, you know, since I was a young kid, uh, when it was too low, um, I don't know where else to go counselor other, you know, if you have a direct rebuttal or, or anything, I, all I would offer is we're not looking at spending a bunch of proactive money on Judah Hill. If it failed tomorrow, I don't have an answer for you on whether we would be saying, let's spend another 20 million or if we would be saying, uh, Jeez, I'm not sure I want to do that. So, uh, well, that's very fair. I, I think people just want to know, mo most importantly, uh, I, I don't know, it, it would be nice to pray for a miracle, right? And, uh, and, and very difficult for, for you guys to deliver one on your budget, especially considering those dollars. I think people just, just want to know and then just be, up, be updated uh, is, is the main thing. No pressure here. Just uh, it, It's just good to see your perspective on it, too. 
because so often we only get it from from one direction you know at, at any cost this should be a thing and and uh that's an eye-watering number yeah um obviously that's my perspective i i would caveat that by saying uh it's not that it's a shortage of dollars it's that it, does this make sense financially to do that's this right. and um you know, I, I know people who live up Judah Hill, so I, I'm worried I'm going to have to move out of town if the government, uh, or sorry, Alberta Transportation decides that that's not uh, a great investment. But uh, all kidding aside, it's, um, you know, I, I advocate for as many dollars coming to the north as I possibly can. And, you know, speaking quite bluntly, like that's a, that's that's a tough one. Um, you know, of course, there's going to be some directly impacted people, especially right at the top. And, you know, if something happened, we'd have to look at talking, talking to them and seeing what that impact is. But uh, yeah, uh, I have a similar situation on Highway 666 over by Grand Prairie that runs to Grovedale, uh, you know, massive slide issues. It's quite busy. It's got about five times the traffic to Judah. And kind of in the same boat, right? Like that's my nemesis in the pieces, our slides. It's a, it's a tough, it's a tough slog. Uh, in the past, there was never dedicated slide funding. When I came to the government, I, I thought I, I couldn't understand how there wasn't a capital program for slide improvements and, and in, you know, keeping Dunvegan open and some of these 986 corridors that serves the pulp mill. And, uh, you know, kudos to kudos to the government that we have a capital slide program and, and there is dedicated funding. Um, we had a massive slide on Highway 64 last year, completely shut it down. I mean, that's a direct link into the northeast part of BC with major economic impacts. And in the past, we would have been, you know, where's this money coming from? Whereas now we can actually program it and, and slide it in for repairs. So it is a, it's not a fun one to talk about for sure. I'm just trying to be as blunt as I can. Uh, obviously, no decisions, like I said, have been made. There's been no direction to go either way. It's just, you know, I certainly haven't uh, got $25 million tomorrow to go treat four different slides or anything like so, that. So Judah yeah. Hill, though, was a bit of, uh, you, you used some experimental or um, tech, uh, construction techniques there, uh, the last go around, I think. Um, uh, rubber tires or something like that. Um, the the uh, well, DMI slash Mercer Hill uh, slide. You did a. You've done a great job on that. Um, but you seem to use some different construction techniques there. Would that be applicable to uh, to the Judah Hill one? Uh, the repairs on both were quite similar, Mayor. Uh, they're yeah. giant pile walls that are really installed along both okay. of them. Um, I'm assuming you're talking about the West uh, 986, west of DMI. Yeah. Um, on the east, we did some basically horizontal tieback anchors into a pile wall. But uh, Judah, if you if you go up the west hill and you look across, you just you'll see these ginormous concrete piles that are driven okay. deep. And that's basically what's holding the road up. And that's part of the problem with what the lower slide. I'm not sure who's been up there lately, but there's a slide on the lower end and, you know, it's a big dip. And basically you'd have to sandwich this highway between two giant pile walls on the Heart River side and the Peace River side. So 
that fix has basically been with Judah has been the pile wall option. Like we've got a lot of different options. We've in the shop slide this year, which is the old highway two exit ramp. As you go down to the pines coming off, coming off the highway, coming East. Um, that's not a pile wall. That's some different stuff, toe berms and shear keys, but, uh, yeah, no, the, the Judah and the 986 were quite similar. They're, they're basically giant concrete pile walls. Okay, and it's just the Judah Hill one didn't, uh, didn't hold uh, or hasn't held as well as the DMI Mercer one, okay. All right, thanks for your perspective on that and your honest candor, it's very much appreciated. Uh, Mr. Ford. Hi, Ryan, yeah, probably a simpler question for you, but uh, some of the residents have been asking, so once uh, the bridge projects are, are completed, what is the intentions with the speed limits across the bridge? Are you gonna be moving them back up to 80K or are you gonna be doing something similar to White Court and keeping it at 70 or, or what, what, what's the plan there? 80, yeah, 100% it would be back up to 80, um, that, the whole piece through town. You know, we, we would really only look at revising that if there was some strong rationale from a from the town in this case, the local municipality to say, hey, for some reason, we think it should be 60 or 70 or, or 100 or whatever. But uh, right now, the plan is to put it back to 80. Okay. Okay. Um, issuing pay, uh, more tickets is not a rational plan. Well, I... <laughs> rational I, reason. I don't know if you have photo radar like white cord, that would be quite the money maker. Yeah. Yeah. Are you wanting to keep the speed limit at 50, sir? <laughs> no, I find that too slow. Even for an old guy like me. Um, great. Um, yeah, there was just one other one, uh, Ryan. Um, this slips my mind here. Um, did it have anything to do with flood mitigation, Your Worship, and some yes, of the infrastructure? Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> so uh, you heard my comments uh, regarding uh, uh, we we really feel that some of the work done on Pat's Creek, uh, especially that larger culvert under 986, and you combine that with with. Uh, rural municipalities as a whole wanting to uh, improve drainage off farm fields and and we then deal with flash flooding and not uh, and uh, I think you took up some took out some of the beaver dams that uh, that were able to hold up uh, some of the onrushing water and uh, we really feel that uh, the two uh, Patch Creeks floods that we that we have had in the last five years are um, are a result of are, are a result of that, and um, especially when Mr. Uh, McIver came out and said, "Yeah, this this flooding is uh, turning to the government for a handout every time you flood." Um, and you know, he wasn't saying it just to us, but uh, we we need to uh, we we need to put a stop to that. And I I don't disagree. Um, um, you know, people need to take responsibility for where they build and and how they mitigate. Uh, but um, some of this is outside of our control, 
and we will we will need some help and uh, um, and and of course there's the uh, you know looking down uh, uh, I don't want to say downstream because again uh, but looking down the years uh, Pat's Creek is a culvert and uh, as as an engineer you know that uh, uh, infrastructure that's out of sight is out of mind for the general public and uh, and it doesn't get maintained very well and uh, that's another that culvert uh, I, I personally think we're going to have to daylight it one of these years but uh, the the um, we I think we need to talk with Alberta transportation tie in Pat's Creek and Work out some mitigated measures along with our uh, our land use planning branch, uh, Alicia Modi, about uh, um, trying to uh, to mitigate uh, flood damage that might have might result from Pat's Creek. Yeah, um, I don't have a probably a whole bunch to offer. Um, I will. I will suggest that um, there's been a whole bunch of land opened up across a lot of the province, uh, especially in Northern Alberta. And we have seen increased flows with the water getting there faster, quicker, and more of it um, because of that. Uh, the town is on the downstream end of obviously Pat's Creek. Uh, we've seen it in Mackenzie County, County Grand Prairie, MDF Fairview, I mean, Pretty much every municipality has seen this and um, with water just getting there so much faster, it, that's the big thing is it just doesn't have that time to soak in, have the trees and willows and everything suck it up. Um, I don't have a good answer for you. I have some personal opinions on retention ponds and, and stuff like that where you would gate the flow a little better. But right now um, what happens is you, you get that big runoff into Pat's Creek every spring. And, you know, what we make sure we do on our end is that we make sure the portion of Pat's Creek that is ours can accommodate that flow. Um, we've been a lot more proactive in the last two to three years uh, period in the region on making sure we get out in the spring as the, as the thaw is happening to make sure our culverts are clean, steamed, ready to flow and accommodate the most amount of water as they can. So, um, but that only increases the flow for us, right? Uh, not as much, you know, most of this stuff would be like, you know, I don't know who's driven on Roma Drive lately, but there's the dog kennel with, there's a bunch of groundwater that's seeping out and we're, you know, we get out there and make sure that center line's able to take it across so it doesn't back up into there. Um, our bridge files typically don't have a big problem um, with that. It's the smaller type culverts that cause, cause the problems. So I... I'm not sure how much our infrastructure has had an impact on on Pat's Creek. Pat's Creek's flooded many times, dating back quite some time. Um, I, my feeling is just from what I've seen is that just the lack of retention of water and the and the quick time that it hits these channels is probably the biggest culprit into what's happening and. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure what the big answer is, you know, like if a person goes and clears a quarter section of bush, 
that's going to have a big impact on the amount of water that used to get sucked up by that quarter section of bush versus versus what's now hitting everything else in its path. So I'd, I'd probably not a great answer for you, Your Worship, and I, well, I we, probably don't we, have one. Yeah, well, we need to talk to uh, Mr. McIver. Um, I, uh, particularly given some of the things that he said, he, is, he said there's only going to be uh, allowed one claim per, per address. Um, um, and, and he exempted municipalities as a whole, but every private address, business address, uh, resident, residential address, only one claim per address. And he said that if there is flooding, and he used Fort Vermilion as a as a good example. He, if he said there's there's consistent flooding, we need to have a serious conversation about moving your town. And and they are moving Fort Vermilion out of the floodplain and and up a little higher, is my understanding, to the cost of 17 million. I don't uh, I don't think we can move downtown. Uh, I, I, uh, I do think that uh, with some astute land use planning and uh, a little forethought, uh, retention ponds, uh, retention caverns, um, we, uh, we may be able to, uh, it may be actually more an opportunity than the threat, but uh, we will need uh, we will need some help from Alberta Transportation in terms of dollars and design. So uh, you can tell Mr. McIver, heads up, the mayor of Peace River is on the warpath. <laughs> Fair enough, and I, I mean, it, you know, in today's world, there are there are certainly opportunities, but they would deal with the immediate infrastructure, like you know, our STIP program has a as a bridge file component that allows for upgrades, but. Uh, I mean, I think on a bigger scale, it's the upstream portion that uh, long-term probably yeah, that's where and, the solution lies. And, and the problem is we don't control the, upstre uh, the upstream. And uh, in fact, we're down in a valley surrounded by three counties that uh, just want to drain their, the water off their farmland. So, but we'll leave that there. I don't want to belabor the point too much. Uh, uh, I feel I've already done that, but thanks for uh, coming up, coming uh, to make your uh, to talk about the uh, this the uh, the upgrade to the original uh, or the redecking on the original highway bridge and uh, and yeah we uh, certainly want to talk about the jobs and uh, the money that will be coming into the uh, into the uh, into the town because of. Uh, of that project okay and that'll be the the, the primary follow-up is i'll get ceo parker over uh some actual job numbers that are official on what we're thinking and then obviously as we move towards a bit of a communications plan we'll uh make sure that the town's involved and and have direct input so that we're all singing from the same songbook yeah great okay thank you very much okay, thanks everyone so I'm going to jump to item four uh, here, which is appeal of proposed 94th Ave local improvement levy. There's a submitted presentation with a briefing note uh, in your package, but I think Mr. McQuig is 
you're going to talk to the presentation or uh, I think uh, goals, CEO Parker's going to talk to us from the okay. worship. Okay. Thank you very much, Your Worship and Councilor. Before you, you have uh, just a brief note. Uh, so we were supposed to have a fourth presentation this evening, but the individual, uh, Mr. Gosler, couldn't make it to the meeting, but he did submit a letter uh, in advance. And so uh, what we did is administration put together a briefing note that uh, uh, was sent out with the presentation and the agenda on Thursday. Um, so uh, just a little brief um, uh, in his uh, original letter, there was uh, three uh, uh, um, major points that Mr. Gosler wanted to uh, just talk about. One is not move forward with the local improvement part. Uh, he's, he's requested. The second thing is if uh, we do decide to move uh, forward, um, exclude the properties that are owned either by the school board or the town in the Peace River uh, in the calculation of the uh, uh, petition in order to render the petition not or in order to render the petition valid. Or the third uh, thing is that council considers that if you decide to move forward with the local improvement charges, um, that the charges or sorry, the local improvement that the charges be dropped and the cost of the upgrading services be absorbed by the general tax rate. So the briefing note basically responds to those three types of questions. Um, I did have a little background on the, the NERP uh, program uh, that the, is in administrative uh, view has been successful in trying to rehabilitate uh, existing uh, uh, infrastructure. And when there is new infrastructure, you bring in the local improvement charges. Um, so uh, just compliance with the Municipal Government Act. In the original letter from Mr. Dostler, uh, uh, there was some questions about, okay, has the, uh, have we followed it correctly? Um, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, so the 94th project was brought before council in 2019. Uh, we did, um, council directed staff to begin the planning process and establish it. And planning was conducted in accordance to uh, section uh, 395 of the Municipal Government Act. Um, and then once that, that plan was complete, we did uh, discuss uh, the affected landholders uh, that who were in accordance with 396 and uh, held public consultation in August of 2020. That uh, basically uh, produced a petition, um, two different petitions, one from for 94th Street and <laughs> one for a 95th and um, I'm sorry, 94th Avenue and 95th Avenue. And um, during the letter from Mr. Dostler, um, uh, he felt that uh, municipal affairs gave him different information um, as opposed to what uh, we presented to council. And uh, to be quite honest, uh, municipal affairs was aware of, uh, of our process. We did uh, discuss with them. And also we discussed with legal all the way through the whole process. Uh, the reason, uh, we did uh, uh, bring these two uh, uh, organizations into the, the whole process and reviewed everything is because we were pretty sure that uh, uh, a couple of individuals would be upset. Um, and we wanted to make sure we did everything proper and correct according to the Municipal Government Act. Um, and uh, we did. So basically in early November, after the petition was uh, uh, given to uh, uh, administration, I, I reported to council at the first meeting, uh, basically that petition was not sufficient. And um, 
basically uh, uh, they did not meet the thresholds of two thirds of the owners. Um, so that was the big issue there. So um, concerns, uh, I guess we could uh, discuss is the, the request to uh, discontinue the project. Uh, basically, uh, um, that if, if council wanted to, they could decide at this point to say, sir, we're not going to do the upgraded sections. We just replaced the existing infrastructure. If council felt that they wanted to do that, you do have that ability. Um, if you were to do that, we would recommend you do that sooner than later. Um, however, we haven't seen any reasons why we shouldn't move forward in the aspect of um, it, this is uh, an, an uh, uh, upgrade to the basic standards of uh, the rest of the town. And um, it, there is some issues uh, by not doing that. Um, as for excluding the town, this was the second request. Well, if we could with the petition, could we exclude the town and the school divisions? Well, the government is very specific of when council could do that. And that was at the November meeting. Um, if they wanted to exclude the town, uh, they would have to do that. And also Mr. Dosser would have had to approach the school board and ask the school board if they wanted to be excluded. And then the school board would have to let us know that they wanted to be uh, excluded. Now, uh, in the petition, one of the advantages is, is because the town and the school board is part of this process, they also will have to pay for these upgrades. Um, by excluding them, if, if, if the uh, petition was uh, not successful, then we wouldn't have to pay the town and the school board. And then the, basically the residents would have an increased amount that they would have to pay. So um, in, a, in a way, we are kind of like subsidizing the, the cost of this program. So it is an advantage for us to be in there. Uh, but overall right now, there are 22 individual properties, including the town and um, um, the school board. And uh, with that, in order for your petition, uh, you needed 15 property owners to meet according to the government, Municipal Government Act. And uh, um, Mr. Um, Dosser was told uh, uh, numerous times that uh, he had only had 12 uh, properties. Uh, he still, um, during his letter, he kind of gave the impression that if someone owned three properties, they could only sign once. No, we, they could sign three times, but one for each property. Uh, and even in a case where there was one property where it was um, written in for one address and then another address was added in different ink and signed off, um, we counted that one. However, if uh, someone was to technically challenge that, um, it might have been down as low as uh, uh, basically um, uh, uh, 11 at that case. And then we gave the benefit of doubt in another area where uh, we didn't have uh, the individual um, I believe it was the power of attorney. And in that one there, uh, they provided no proof that the individual who signed had power of attorney. That also could have been possibly challenged, but we didn't. We counted it in the total to try and increase the numbers to, to assist them to get to the, the 15, but they, they did not make that. Um, and then the third request is basically uh, the issue of, uh, well, if you go forward with this project, then why does the general taxpayers just pay for this? And um, so the whole program is, is replace like for like. So if you had a gravel road, we replace a gravel road. Well, the um, local improvement is if you put 
a asphalt road and curb and gutters and big sidewalks and stuff like that, you will pay for that extra benefit. And what we mean you is the local residents via a local um, improvement program. Uh, we have quite a few areas in town where if we were to say here, um, all right, the town we are going to, and everybody, the taxpayer, general taxpayer, would pay for uh, these local improvements. Um, it definitely, uh, for no rhyme or reason, would definitely open us up for other areas across the, the whole town uh, to do that. So um, it's, it's, uh, administration would definitely recommend um, council not pursue this, this option. Uh, it would just be a, you might solve the problem today or a problem today, but you'd be creating probably a, a huge problem later. Uh, if, if council was uh, looking at anything, we again, like just recommend you just don't do any local improvements at all. Um, concerns about the sewer line. So um, we did uh, discuss that in administration. So what it is, is, um, and, and I'll let uh, Mr. McQuaig actually talk on this part right here. He can explain it and then uh, it's not me trying to sub uh, uh, explain his issue. Yeah. Go for it. So the question was by lowering the sewer main, he was uh, thinking that uh, that was gonna increase blockages in the service lines. So yes, we are correcting the uh, grade of the sewer line and putting it uh, deeper through there to have a better gradient on our uh, sewer main. Uh, the service lines that uh, that are connecting to that uh, sewer main will be regraded to match the new sewer level. And then that be brought back to the property line and connected in uh, to the existing sewer service uh, for the resident. Uh, where the resident elects to have his sewer uh, pipe replaced due to age or condition of the of the service line, uh, then we would probably regrade that right from his house all the way up to the sewer main. But uh, we've kind of uh, looked at that uh, all through the project and uh, the gradients that we're proposing are uh, well within uh, normal limits uh, that we would look at for this type of an application. So uh, you're just looking for uh, first reading because you need to advertise this or what? Uh, no, this this is just a briefy note. Uh, so originally Mr. Dosser was gonna come here tonight, uh -huh. uh, present his letter. And, um, and, and so um, uh, last week he said he couldn't attend. So we wrote the briefy note to just reply to some of the issues that he did uh, put out there. And the final thing I would like to say with the issue about 22 properties, um, the 22 properties and owners, uh, as, as I said in it, is you can have an individual who is a renter, so they couldn't sign on behalf of the owner. So you have to have owners of the property, and all the properties have to have a separate tax roll. There was 22 separate tax roll in the properties that were basically listed in the petition, and in order to get to that two-thirds, you needed 15. So um, that just hopefully clarifies everything on that aspect of it. So basically you can treat this, your worship, as uh, an additional briefing note ahead of the, the two bylaws that are coming next okay. so that you have some additional information to make a decision. Oh, okay, so you're not looking for a motion right now. Just, just a motion to accept. Okay, gone good. 
Yeah, just just a question. So this is an area because the word person and property and that gets sort of moved around through the sack. And one question, if if a person owns, you say there is 22 properties, let's say a person owned 14 of them or 15, let's make it clear, 15, he owns 15. 15. He gets 15 signatures. What he can sign what individually for 15. At that no. point, he would have had the proper amount. Am I correct? That is absolutely. He had the assessed value as well. That well, assuming assessed value is there, if, if he has to make two thirds of the of the properties, one person who owned fifteen could could do that. And and, and just a little clarification. Let's say there's two people who owned, and they're the same two people who owned fifteen properties. Yep. You could have one person sign eight of them and another person sign seven of them. You didn't need both people to sign who owned that property. You just need one signature from one of the right. owners on that, that, that petition. And the other thing is, is you're talking about the school has an interest um, vicariously or whatever. The town has an interest to a degree because we're property owners on that in that area. So is the school board. So if you upgrade everything in that area, you upgrade the pavement, you upgrade the cosmetics, you upgrade all that, there's generally an increase in value or assessment because it looks better. And one thing is that, and, and we have an interest in that. And so does the school board, because later on, if you want to do something with the property, a better looking property, as well, they call it curb appeal. But one of the things that's not understood quite often in when people talk about X property having this assessment and I have the identical house over here or a bigger house and I pay less over here is that it's based on the assessment. It's not based on one factor of I've got a bigger house here and I pay less taxes, therefore this. That the tax is based on the assessed value and the assessed value takes into consideration closeness to schools, closeness to shopping. I mean, there's a whole raft of things that come into that conversation that are generally excluded in people's discussions about property value. For and example, that's a great, a great view, for example, makes your property quite a bit expensive, but you may have a dirt road in front of it and a great view where your property is assessed really high than a guy who's got a really nice road and he's next to a railway track, etc. You know, different, different things impact. And I think that's something that's not understood. Byron, you said something there. Well, so I've, I've heard an argument specific to this neighborhood twice now, once in the letter we received and once uh, I was able to attend with uh, um, Deputy Mayor and uh, I believe uh, Ms. Downing was in the, uh, in the same meeting where, where somebody was arguing from a, a, a specific tax number, a specific tax rate. But assessment, once again, was left out of the discussion. And, and, you know, my concern is to anyone listening, you know, if someone shows up at your door to sign something, be careful what you sign because, you know, half the story wasn't being told about, you know, what the tax bills were for these places. And, and you know, we kept hearing, you know, I'm paying the same tax as everyone else. And, and, and without mentioning that that assessment piece also was a factor. And, and you know, it's, it's a 
I, you know, I have a real concern that 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 people going, you know, from door to door to solicit signatures are uh, are presenting. Well, we've seen it a few times, and I'm not going to get specific tonight around other petitions. Are presenting an incomplete or, uh, you know, not the whole story, or 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 potentially a misleading information to 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 get signatures on these these petitions. And then I, yeah, I see no reason. I, Mr. Parker did give us as a council the option. Yeah, we could we could. I so I see no reason to stop this uh, this project from going forward. It can be very very safely assumed that the people who did not sign are also voting by not signing. Um, and and this is something they do want to go ahead and 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 upgrade this this neighborhood. And look, that I know it seems like kind of a big deal right now for for you know residents when this is going on in in their specific neighborhoods at that specific time but this happens in in towns and cities all across the world and that's how they are able to be sustained we can't just put the pause button on development um it would be very short-sighted for us to do that i would not be in favor of of us not upgrading these neighborhoods okay Good, so a uh, motion to accept for information. Mr. Ford, all in favor? Uh, your Worship, I think there were some more comments, Your Worship. Oh, okay. Um, Deputy Mayor was ahead of me. Oh. Um, I, I just wanted to clarify my head, everybody's. So this petition, if um, uh, the school and the town had come forward at the time the, peti the petition was being presented to council and said, don't count us, it would have passed. It would have just had exactly the right amount of numbers, but there might've been a problem with that one. Yeah. Okay. Because we, we included a couple that were questionable. So I could see the petition being challenged. Okay, yes. so yeah. Um, and um, the, the other um, question or comment is, um, I think sometimes we forget if we are, have not bought into a new development that uh, we pay for pavement and stuff at that point in time. And so everybody basically paid for the pavement or the sidewalk in front of their house at some point in time. And this neighborhood improvement um, project or projects, um, just make sure that the town is on a continuous improvement that everybody enjoys in the town so eventually everybody is sharing in that uh, cost for the new pavement on, I don't know, some community within the town. That's all, thanks. And, and, and that's correct. So, so for example, if you go into a brand new subdivision, the cost of your lot already has all these improvements popped into it. It, it would have the roads, it would have the sewer, it would have the sidewalks if, if they had sidewalks. Um, so it has those, uh, projects, like I said, and that's why sometimes you, if you go um, um, and, and even off-site levy charges would be incorporated into that. So if you go to some places like in Calgary, you'll see lots that are going for two or $300,000 and you're just wondering why, because it's all the fees that are um, uh, popped into it. Plus there's a little bit of profit for the uh, developer himself because uh, uh, he's definitely not going to take a loss when he makes a, a development. And sometimes developers want the least amount of cost. So they might say, if, if the municipality says, I don't need to pave the road, I'm not paving the road. And then if they want to, they will get it later in future. 
Mr. Ford. Uh, yes, thanks, Your Worship. I, I also talked to uh, a couple of residents uh, down in that area, received a couple of phone calls um, in regards to uh, the, the, the petition and, and everything and the residents I talked to want this project move forward. But uh, just to further those conversations with those residents, I fully support uh, um, Councillor Scammerhorn's comments uh, when it comes to the, to the position or the petition as I've heard this from other residents um, that chose not to sign that. Okay, well, Ms. Downing. Thank you, Your Worship. Uh, I too have struggled with when I've read this, I, I recall when we talked about it in November, we talked about the spirit of a petition and, you know, by taking out properties, it just didn't make any sense. But I want to thank Mr. Parker for helping me see what I was struggling about was the fact that most petitions are coming forward saying, please do this, not please don't do this. And, and that's the part that's a struggle for us as, as a, for me personally as a counselor is that we wanna see our communities going forward and we're being asked to not do that at this case. So I, I think we've met, uh, we've answered these questions. I'm not trying to uh, downplay the, the concerns, I'm just saying that, uh, that we're, we've looked at it from all angles and we see this to the advantage of our community and certainly that area. Thank you, Your Worship. Okay. Uh, motion to uh, accept for information, Mr. Ford, all in favor? Thanks. Uh, Your Worship, is there an opportunity we can have a small break and uh, then when we return, could we go to the in-camera session? Yes, um, let's do that. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's just a, a time issue. Okay, great. And how long would you like to break, sir, for? Um, uh, how much do you think? Five, ten? Bio break, ten minutes? Okay. Ten minutes, okay, thank you. So a motion to go in camera, please. Okay, all in, all in favor of Mr. Stemhorn's motion. Okay, we can uh, go to the breakout room now. Okay, um, we are now at bylaws. Uh, there's a request for a decision on uh, 2088-94th Ave road improvements levy bylaw. Thank you, Worship. Uh, just looking for my compadre there, Alicia Modi. Is uh, going to take us through these uh, the bylaw for 2088 uh, for 94th Avenue and subsequently uh, we'll go through the 95th Avenue uh, bylaw as well. But uh, we'll be doing these one at a time uh, as they're presented. So, Alicia. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor and Council. Before you is bylaw 2088, which is the 94th Avenue road improvement levy bylaw, which we are presenting for first reading this evening. The bylaw has been, and the, the process up to it, have been compliant with the procedural requirements of the Municipal Government Act, sections 391 through 409. And specifically, some of that procedure I'll just highlight this evening. Uh, in August of 2020, the town began an information and consultation process about the Neighborhood Infrastructure Renewal Program for 94th Avenue. 
that pro program does include both the renewal of existing infrastructure to its current level of service under the NERC program and proposed local improvement to be funded by a local improvement tax that is established by bylaw, this bylaw. Construction on the 94th Avenue is expected to begin in the spring of summer, uh, spring and summer of 2021. Specifically, NERP, the NERP program funds the renewal of sanitary water and as well as gravel road and sidewalk. The local improvement tax will fund the improvement to the level of service of the road structure from a gravel standard to the paved asphalt, asphaltic concrete pavement standard with monolithic curb and gutter. The 94th Street cross section is provided uh, attached to this RFD to provide a basic overview of the infrastructure that is being proposed. The local improvement tax will be added to the property tax bill for each property for 20 years. An initial open house was held in August of 2020 and formal notice of the improvement bylaw compliant with the MGA was sent on September 3rd, 2020. Uh, the overall cost of the program is $378,000. 165 of that cost is paid by the Town of Peace through the NERP program and the balance is funded through the local improvement tax. Uh, that balance is 213. I will highlight that in the bylaw that was provided for council, uh, we did have an error and in, uh, just an inconsistency in the preamble. Uh, and uh, I believe that um, Ms. McQuaig can provide the updated version for council as we're going through this. Uh, but the preamble had a 355 thousand um, dollars in paragraph four and the correct number is actually 378 which is what is in the table just below that so we have provided an updated version um, there are two other very slight uh, changes that I want to highlight for council the draft that was attached to your request for decision did have the draft watermark on it we have also removed that draft and on schedule the first schedule uh, we had not updated the bylaw number. So now that schedule A has been updated with the bylaw 2088. So those changes came uh, today as we noticed those uh, slight um, typos, but the substance of the bylaw is what you were able to review prior to this meeting. So the local improvement charge is repayable over a period of 20 years at the, and the interest rate is currently 2.45% or at an interest rate which is fixed from time to time by the town and that rate is tied to the Bank of Canada. So what that means in terms of the property properties in this area is that there's an annual rate of $42.66 per front meter of frontage for each property. So, um, I won't belabor the point of the property or of the petitions. However, the MGA does establish a process for a local improvement bylaw to be petitioned for or against. Um, and in order for that petition to be successful, uh, it must be signed by a minimum of two thirds of the registered property owners who would be responsible to pay the local improvement tax and those property owners must represent at least one half of the value of the assessed parcels. The petition, a petition against the local improvement bylaw was received on October 2nd, but that petition was not, not successful. A second open house was held for this area on February 24th, 2021. 
as written bylaw number 2088 will go into effect upon third reading of the bylaw and the local improvement tax would be applied to the 2021 property tax bill of the affected properties. So we have two options before you this evening. The first is that council provides first reading to bylaw 2088, the 94th Avenue road improvements levy bylaw, or the second option is that council declines to provide first reading to 2088, the 94th Avenue road improvements bylaw. And we can take any questions that council has. And it, sorry, it is our recommendation um, that option one council does provide first reading. Elaine Manzer. Uh, you're muted, Deputy Mayor. Deputy Sorry. Mayor, you mute. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so the property tax is, or the improvement tax is 2021 or 2022? For this bylaw, for 2088, um, the tax will be on this year's 2021 property. So if, if work is not completed until this fall, if this goes forward. Yeah, they, they will not see a payment, like the first payment on this would, come in 2022. Okay, I think that's what I'm... Uh, Mr. Scamahorn? Yeah, you're muted. I think I'd be better at this seeing as I do it for a living now. Okay, so residents can pay uh, a lump sum or a, 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 they can just cash out uh, right at the start there. That's the 660 something. Did I see it's a uh, last paragraph? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I there's kind of money sitting around or something like one seven per per meter. Okay. Downing, you had a question. Uh, thank you, Your Worship. Uh, I, I'm sorry. Can you? Uh, I'm having a little bit of a problem understanding the numbers. What is the amount that each property owner is? Thirteen fifty eight ninety eight. Is that what it is? Sorry, where are you seeing that number? Just um, same thing. Uh, it's actually in the bylaw on page four. Or maybe even look at the schedule A, Alicia. Yes. Okay. On the schedule A, your question is about the which number? Oh, I'm wondering what it is that is the full amount per property is 1359880. Is that what the total amount is per property, sort of? Like, what's this number 0.6 on there? Six. Oh, sorry. Okay. Total yearly assessment against all the properties to be assessed. So, in any one year, all of the properties that are liable to pay this tax. If you added all of the properties up, it would be that number. So, uh, so spread. Uh, so I'm sorry. So per property, it's $42.66 per front meter. And each property is around, the frontage is around 157 meter-ish yeah. for on 94th. Most of the properties are 10.058 meters. That would be the, the majority of the properties with that, but that's mostly on the uh, south side of the block. On the right. Okay, so that's the, the full street. block, right? Okay, okay, yeah. thanks. That's what I thought, but I wasn't entirely sure. Thank you. Okay. Um, 
Mr. Needham, I think you wanted to make a motion on this one, didn't you? Uh, yes, Your Worship. Uh, uh, and I'll be very quick. I, I can recall four years ago at the Candidates Forum, uh, part of my uh, speaking points were talking about the importance of infrastructural renewal and the importance of maintaining that infrastructure. And if we don't do it, the community becomes a hobble. We need to do this. Uh, no question in my mind. I would put a motion on the floor for first reading for 2088. Okay, all in favor? Uh, uh, if I may clarify with the councillor. Councillor Needham, did you want that to be a FLEC as amended, given that uh, administration did make some admission, some those small uh, corrections this evening? We can, we can add amended, but I, seeing that I've got that email from you, I thought that that was already included, but if it makes it from an administration point of view, this is the confusion over that number. Is that what you're referring to? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, uh, the, the, three, the 378 number? Yes, sir. It says yeah. it's slightly different than the published figure. My, my motion should recognize the 378 number. Very good. Uh, do I hear a uh, second reading? Motion for second reading. Mr. Scammerhorn, all in favor? Okay, do I hear a motion to go to third reading? Uh, Ms. Downing, all in favor? Um, who wants to make, uh, Mr. Ford wants to make third and final reading, all in favor? Done. Uh, we will now go to uh, request for decision uh, regarding 2087 95th Avenue Road Improvements Levy Bylaw. Thank you, Your Worship. Bylaw 2087 provides for the 95th Avenue Road Improvements Levy. This bylaw was likewise initially uh, informed the neighborhood in August 2020. And the project includes both the neighborhood infrastructure renewal program component, as well as the local improvement component funded by the local improvement tax. Uh, the initial open house was held on August 26, 2020, and then formal notification followed on September 3rd, 2020. The cost of this program, so this is on 95th Avenue, is $410,000, $126 of that costs will be paid by the town through the NERC program and the balance will be paid through the local improvement tax and that's $248,000. I will highlight that one key difference between the um, 95th Avenue and 94th Avenue bylaws is that this bylaw is written to go into an effect into effect on March 22nd, 2022. So the 95th Avenue project is anticipated to be cons have construction start next year. So likewise, the local improvement tax would go onto the property bill next year, not this year. Um, there are two options here to provide first reading to bylaw 2087, the 95th Avenue road improvements levy bylaw or option two. And I will note here, we do have a slight um, error in the RFD. There are in fact two options, not just a double option number one. Uh, the second option is that council declines to provide first reading to 2087, the 95th Avenue Road Improvement Levy Bylaw. I will also note that there was a watermark 
uh, draft watermark on the 2087 bylaw that council in the agenda. So any made for this bylaw should also be uh, as amended. Uh, and Ms. McClegg has that updated bylaw with the bylaw with the draft uh, watermark removed. You can take any questions on this one. Yeah, I I notice you say provide first reading and now we we just went ahead and smashed all three. Was there a reason that it's only first reading? And I guess this would have been a good question three minutes ago. Uh, I think our intent had simply been to give council time if they if you so choose to need it to uh, oh. to consider any of the other conversation that had happened this evening. Uh, but I seem since everybody well, everybody works together. Well, we've been we've been doing this for a while, so I don't think it's like I appreciate the sentiment and it's good it's good thought. But we have been going over this obviously for months now. So yeah. okay, I'm good there then. Thanks for your That's help. That was my same question. <laughs> okay, does anyone want to kick it off for first reading, Mr. Needham? Uh, for first reading, all in favor? Okay. Uh, second reading, anyone? Mr. Good, all in favor? Uh, anybody want to go to third reading? I move we go to third reading. Okay, all in favor? Anybody want to uh, make third and final reading? Uh, Mr. Ford, all in favor? Done. Okay, there's two down. So uh, here's the request for decision on the 2086 utility rate bylaw. Evening, your worship and council. Before I use a request for decision on an updated utility rate bylaw, um, and this is um, referring to the, the water rates charged by the town. Um, as you recall, during our budget deliberations, we did have a discussion around the water rates and the pressure surrounding the rates. Um, and there is a, a proposed increase um, that council had um, approved there during their deliberations and now we're here to, uh, to make those official. Um, looking at a 52 cent increase, which is an increase of about eight and a half percent. And this is to uh, recover costs for operating increases, <clears throat> excuse me, plus capital items, um, current and future. Uh, if you recall, we had a major project that was completed last year. That was the Reservoir 365 replacement. Um, and there was a debt funding component to that. And um, that's partially what these, these rate increases are, are helping pay for. Uh, this this uh, repeals our existing bylaw 2069. Um, and also within this bylaw are changes um, to other users of, of our water utilities. So we do sell or resell water to uh, County of Northern Lights and Shaftesbury Water Cooperative. Their increase will be the same of 8.56%. So um, all customers of the water uh, utility will be seeing similar increases. The only substantive, and it's a fairly minor difference, is that this does take effect a little bit later for County of Northern Lights. And that is due to the agreement that we have in place with them. Um, which does provide a greater amount of notice since they, um, if they desire, would have to also do a bylaw process to um, enact any rate changes. So we've given them 
um, worked with them to give them a three month window to, to do that before these uh, rates uh, take effect. So a couple options before council. Uh, the first is to provide first, second and third readings of the bylaw 2086. Um, to do so, this would match the um, utility expenditures for 2021. So uh, the water fund is not underfunded or does not have enough revenue to achieve its or match its expenses. Um, second option would be to, to decline this bylaw. We would maintain the existing rates. Um, but if we did that, then as it currently stands, uh, utility rates would not cover current expenditures and we'd have to um, go back and revisit and see where, where other savings would, would have to be made. So administration's recommendation is that council does provide for a second and third reading to bylaw 2086, the utility rate bylaw. Okay. Um, who would like to, uh, uh, Ms. Manzer, first reading? All yes. in favor? Um, is Ms. McQuaid there? Um, we, or uh, perhaps her assistant? Yeah, our assistant is uh, currently taking notes, Your Worship. Uh, that'd be uh, Miss Briscoe, who is uh, also in the room with uh, Miss McQuaig. Miss McQuaig's just out uh, printing a bylaw. Okay. Um, I understood that there may be some questions that would be um, sent in on on this particular bylaw, but uh, no money's aware of any questions being sent in. Um, we'll continue through this. Uh, Ms. McQuaig, you, you, uh, you indicated uh, before the council meeting that there may be questions sent in on this particular bylaw, correct? Yes, sir. That was the information that we had. I have not yet received anything from the public. Okay. Just confirming that. No, but we did get some inquiries. Uh, so there may be questions. I'm going to ask Ms. Briscoe to uh, monitor the mail while I bring you these documents for signature. Okay, okay, very good. Um, so we will just carry on as usual. Uh, does anyone may want to make a motion for second reading? Mr. Good already has his hand up. I'm assuming that's to make the motion. All in favor? Is there anybody who would like to go to third reading? Uh, Ms. Downing, all in favor? And uh, we will, uh, uh, who would like to make the motion for third and final reading? Mr. Scamahorn, all in favor? Yeah, that's, uh, that's passed. So uh, the next item is the cemetery bylaw 2089. Um, Mr. McQuig, I take it is gonna uh, deal with this. Yes, your worship. Uh, this one should be uh, fairly uh, quick on this one. So uh, about a month ago, we passed cemetery bylaw. Uh, previous one, which would have been 2082. Uh, so we did have one error on that, that we had uh, Schedule A attached uh, to the original bylaw. And there's a kind of a carryover from the bylaw template. So that has been 
uh, removed. And rather than amending the bylaw, we would like to repeal the bylaw uh, instead of it being amended. So that way we don't have more than one active bylaw dealing with the cemetery operations. So we would like uh, council to give first, second and third reading to adopt the revised bylaw 2089. Okay. So, um, yeah, so I think that's fairly straightforward. Um, I think there was common consensus on, on a, well, there was consensus on this. Um, although I, I will tell you that I'm going to vote against this. I won't vote against going to third reading because I think you're undervaluing the, the, the rental properties out there. <laughs> and uh, and uh, uh, I, I think that we need to, uh, we need to bump them up, but uh, I know that I don't have enough support for that. So um, well, just uh, maybe before yes, we do, were we not moving the fees or the rental into the fees bylaw? That is correct. So you may oh. have a crack at this later, Mr. Mayor. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, is that right? Okay. So, uh, okay. Because I, I, I'm actually, I think I'm with you on this one, even though I haven't bought one yet. Yeah. So it will come back uh, in a little bit because we uh, still had to deal with one section with the fees and the charges by law in terms of per perpetual care that uh, Director Town is uh, doing some work on right now. So that will come back in the future. Oh, okay. So this, this cemetery bylaw has nothing to do with uh, That's projects. Okay. And just, Your Worship, just to clarify, I think the number that we're talking about, from correct me if I'm wrong, was 275. And I think the general thinking item was too low. Oh, I, I think that's what we're talking about, is it not, on the, the future uh, fees chart that's coming back? Um, you cut out there. You froze for like uh, 10, 10 seconds or something. So so I, I don't think we got the full. Okay, I'm cost. sorry. Just, just to click. Yeah, I was just clarifying the, the fees and charges number that's going to come back, Jim. It seems to me I remember the housekeeping number was 275. So that's the number that some of council believes is too low. Is that, that's what we're talking about. That would be um, correct. Yeah. Well, I think we can review, you know, the whole fees and charges for all the items and if you want. Uh, but uh, just suffice it to say the primary reason for uh, it coming back next time is to deal with perpetual care, but it does provide an opportunity if council wants to look at some of those other charges we can review those at that time as well. But, but I think what uh, Councillor Nadine was looking at is I think right currently right now, our perpetual care, for some reason I have 250 on the brain, not 275 for perpetual care right now. And that's what yeah. it is, I believe. Yeah, that, that's from my recollection from the discussion, that was a sticking point, but that's yeah. I just, his worship was, we're trying to support, we're trying to separate this, these two bylaws and make yeah, it a little understandable for everybody. Yeah. 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 Um, you've already bought your plot though, haven't you? I, I did. I'm, I'm, I'm top left if you're interested uh, and I'm no hurry to get there. <laughs> yeah. But so, so 
an increase in fees won't bother you. No, I'm a thousand and fifty bucks. Your worship, I thought was for two of us is good value. It's uh, uh, as as specified in the bylaw. And again, no hurry to get there. Okay. Um, so um, so who who wants to make first reading on the uh, the cemetery bylaw? Uh, Mr. Good. So all in favor. He's muted, but he's talking. Um, the uh, second reading, Ms. Downing, all in favor? I don't think she's in a hurry to get there either. Uh, <laughs> anyone want to go for uh, third reading? Uh, Ms. Manzer, all in favor? And who wants to do third and final? Uh, Mr. Needham, all in favor? Okay. okay. Thank you, Council. Uh, Good work, Mr. McQuig. Uh, I just went first because I'm the oldest here, I think. <laughs> uh, uh, so we, we are going to bylaw 2090, which will amend bylaw 1891 to include artisanal or custom manufacturing. So I'm assuming this is going to be Ms. Modi leading this discussion. The artisan, Ms. Modi. <laughs> Don't know that I would go quite that far, but thank you. <laughs> we have received an amendment or an application to amend the land use bylaw to enable general industrial in the Riverfront de Development District. That request is specifically to allow for a roastery to be located um, in that Riverfront Development District uh, in the same building that currently houses the brewery. Uh, the applicant has applied to amend the land use bylaw in the way that the bylaw is currently written. So right now within our land use bylaw, the only use that deals with manufacturing is the general industrial use. So they've applied based on how our bylaw is currently constructed, which would be to add general industrial to that riverfront development district. Um, however, general industrial is an extremely broad use that can mean a very wide range of, of activities from roasting coffee to uh, full-scale industrial pulp mill. Uh, so it's not necessarily appropriate to apply that to the Riverfront Development District, which is located in the downtown of the town of Conserver. So because of that, uh, administration has developed a new use that would meet the needs of this particular applicant, but also creates opportunities for small-scale or custom manufacturing that could be contemplated within a number of landing districts of the town uh, that kind of open up the options for what's available to operate a business with. And in the Riverfront Development District, the bylaw has also proposed to put it into a number of other districts in the town, including the primary commercial district and the mixed commercial residential district, as well as our light industrial district and our mixed industrial business district. So applies it to a number of different districts in town to provide that option, um, but it does not um, provide that full scope of industrial uses, which would not be um, appropriate. So we're not talking about all of the industrial, but we are talking about manufacturing custom pro uh, products. So we, the definition that we have proposed to add, it means Manufacturing artisanal or custom means development providing for small scale on site indoor production of finished products or parts 
primarily involving hand tools, mechanical tools, or electronic tools, or with restricted levels of automation, producing little to no adverse impacts beyond the building, such as no vibration, noise, or fumes. The processes involved may include design, processing, fabrication, assembly, treatment, or packaging of products. Typical uses include, but are not limited to, the manufacture of specialty food or beverage products, toys or musical instruments, electronic goods, textiles, leather products, jewelry and clothing and apparel, printmaking, metalwork, furniture or glass or ceramic production, paper manufacturing. This use may include innovation and incubation spaces. This use may include accessory retail sales, educational programming, or product sampling. Uh, the bylaw also includes a number of use-specific regulations to ensure that future small-scale manufacturing operations and op operations in commercial areas have a commercial component, and that the development authority has the ability to require sufficient information to understand any possible impacts on surrounding properties. So, as I said, we enable the manufacturing artisanal or custom in five land use districts. Uh, they're shown in figure one, uh, so the council can see where those districts are located within town, uh, where the operations could be appropriate and would also make use of existing building stock. I also wanna highlight that we do not um, identify them as permitted in all of the districts. So right now the use is permitted in the C1 district uh, our primary commercial. It's discretionary in the CR, which gives us a little bit more discretion to say no, where it's not appropriate to co-locate based on the immediately adjacent um, uses. It's permitted within the Riverfront Development District and then discretionary in light industrial and permitted in the mixed industrial district. So that is what is provided in the bylaw. Um, I can take any questions that council has. Um, so this is all for a roastery? This was prompted by the need or the request for a roastery. Um, a chicken roastery or a coffee roastery? <laughs> right. not a, ro a roastery, not a roostery. It is, <laughs> it is for coffee beans, not for chickens. Okay. Yeah. Um, the applicant, um, they have provided us with a little bit more information. We didn't choose to share all of it because some of it could be considered specific to their operation and we didn't want to divulge too much. Uh, but I think I can speak to just the, the scale of the intended operation at this time. They're talking about, um, sorry, now I'm forgetting what the number is. I believe it's a one kilogram uh, roastery. So it's not a huge roaster um, in the scale of coffee roasting. It, it, they are starting small. They are definitely within the artisanal category of roasting. Okay. Any other questions? Oh, Ms. Downing has a question. The arts. I, have a, I actually have a number of them, Your Worship. Oh, okay. uh, so, uh, Ms. Modi, you said it is discretionary in the mixed commercial residential, but it will be approved in the riverfront development. Yes. I do want to also clarify, though, that that is provided that it meets the requirements of the land use bylaw. So within the bylaw, with those additional regulations, mm -hmm. we are very clear that the development authority can ask for additional information associated with anticipated impacts. 
and okay. the development authority, in this case, it would be the, the development officer, but there still is the authority there to set any conditions that would be necessary to mitigate impacts. So if the development authority felt that there were going to be significant impacts, they could establish conditions associated with that approval. So I, I did appreciate uh, the new definition, by the way, because when I was reading it, I was like, whoa, that's a big difference. I'm guessing that wasn't a definition that we had got to as our, our little working group regarding our development bylaws. No, this is something yeah. that has come up um, because of this application and it's, it was not in our draft land use bylaw. Mm -hmm. um, it was a, an aha moment when they asked. Um, right, right. So when I when I read this, I mean, I I do appreciate that it looks significantly different from general industrial, but it's it's still pretty broad in my opinion. We there's lots of scope there that we can say and 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 just so you know, to, personally, I'm super excited about a coffee roastery. Uh, um, but I can tell you that the home community that I moved here from, uh, there was one put in. Now, it was more mixed residential, and it didn't last 10 months before the community was up in arms because of the smell. And that is right next door to an entire condominium. So, I mean, this may be great in the moment, I don't think that it, there's the potential that it won't stop there. Just my comment, um, which has been a concern when I read this. Uh, it made me look again at the definition and realize how broad it is. Um, it's, it, is it is quite a broad scope. Um, although that the fact that you've mentioned things may give us a little, like you've mentioned certain examples, that may allow us to actually control some of it a little bit more. Um, so uh, I don't know. Um, I do appreciate that you wrote that. Um, I am concerned about approving this bylaw and then not really necessarily thinking that that's it in our best interest to put a coffee roastery in that area. Again, just saying me personally, thrilled about it. Thrilled about the smell, the whole thing. It may not work. Well, just Thank to you. speak to that, to Councillor Downing, uh, basically those kind of things would come into consideration at the time of development and with the development permit that, you know, such things as uh, if we're overly concerned with emissions or sound or any other aspects of that, those are the times that we would kind of request those things and make sure that, you know, they're within our acceptable limits. Uh, Mr. Scanlon? Uh Given that their proximity to the brewery is quite close, how um, would that, whatever applied to the brewery, and maybe I'm saving someone a couple hundred bucks here, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Given that it's already happening, something similar, let's say, is happening in the brewery, why, why, or why, why would they need to apply for a change? Would the, whatever change allowed the brewery to operate, couldn't they just open up shop? The application, or sorry, the, the brewery applied for a land use bylaw amendment, and the amendment that we did for that one was very specific to brewing, winery, distillery. It was very much related to alcohol production, and since this is not that. And oh, yeah, okay. Really, I was just... 
it should go I don't I think that when you're thinking about whether something is similar enough if there is a more general use that it logically fits under and in this case it definitely does fit under the general industrial use at this moment I think it, it that is where we need to swing to in terms of where it's allowed within the town at this time. So that is why they had to apply to amend the bylaw. But that being said, I definitely hear what you're saying in terms of we don't always want to, we want to try and create a bylaw that works for as many businesses as possible, which is why when they, I got this request, it wasn't let's put roastery in the in the bylaw it was let, let's think about what's the broader category here that makes sense that provides some flexibility to business uh, and try and and take this as an opportunity to make the bylaw a little bit better for more than one business well two tries to improve is a lot better than what most people usually end up taking a lot more so good so are we talking coffee flavored beer here or what <laughs> there is no no guarantee of that you never know what will happen but it might turn into that. Who knows? Mr. Needham. I was, we uh, approved a crematorium downtown Peace River, and I, I don't, just, uh, has administration received any feedback one way or the other? I, no, and we, we went through our same emissions control uh, with them as well. I would so. follow the same process, and you're good. Oh. I would say that that industry probably has different emission stacks, maybe. Is that what we're going to call them? I don't know. Um, yeah, then, then a coffee. It's a, one of those things that I'm not ready to get there again. I think yeah. I mentioned that earlier. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ms. Manzer. So if we if we were to pass first reading, there's opportunity for residents to uh, have input before second reading and consideration, right? Yes, absolutely. We do need to advertise this bylaw and the public okay. hearing needs to be held before second and third reading. And that'll be an opportunity for anybody who wants to speak for or against the proposed amendment to come forward. Okay. So Mr. Mayor, I, I would move that uh, we have first reading of uh, bylaw 2019. Okay, all in favor? Okay, and I guess that's uh, that's that. Seeing that it needs to be advertised. Thank you. Can't wait for that coffee-flavored beer. So there's no unfinished business. Uh, the new business we actually touched on uh, during the RCMP uh, briefing. So um, I don't think we need to do that again, do we, uh, Mr. Parker? I, all we need is just to uh, accept for information. Okay. Um, so does someone want to make a motion to accept Mr. Scanlhorn? All in favor? So we have two reports, RCMP Community Action Committee minutes for February 24th, 2021. Uh, is there anything here you wish to highlight, Mr. Uh, Ford? No, not really. It's uh, basically for your reading pleasure and uh, some of the topics that are in the uh, in the minutes were discussed tonight by the RCMP presentation. Okay, uh, there is a briefing uh, briefing note regarding Municipal Planning Commission minutes for October 14, 2020. These are just the minutes, right? Uh, so this is regarding another funeral home. It's across the street from Venture Parts, Cal Tire area. 
oh, by United Floors there. If okay. you want to take a look, they've already got a sign up. Oh, okay. Great. Wow, another business moving it down. Just uh, to uh, accept those two reports then, Your Worship? Yeah, we'll, uh, uh, could I get a motion to accept uh, the two reports for information? Uh, Ms. Downey, all in favor? There is a uh, an information package regarding Peace Regional Healthcare Attraction and Retention Committee Awards video event. Uh, Ms. Mazza, do you want to underscore any information in here? Um, yes. Um, I don't know if you're aware or not, but anyways, our particular committee received an award in 2020, I guess it is, and um, Pre-COVID, this would have meant that we would have had another gala event to celebrate that. It's a community award for basically attracting uh, medical people to our area. So, and it's a provincial award. So the way they're going to um, recognize it is to uh, have a Facebook live uh, event on Wednesday, March 24th at um, 4.30, it says in this memo. And so, all it is is an awareness. You can um, go to the Facebook thing or go to the site and um, join in. The RPAP president uh, will be giving a little speech. And then I think the video is, that uh, was made is um, presented. Does it not feature you, Madam Deputy Mayor? I think there's several people that uh, got to say a few words, <laughs> yeah. Will there be any live entertainment? Uh, it, it'll be entertaining, all right, yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, motion to accept information for information. <laughs> Mr. Ford, all in favor. Okay, any notices of a motion, uh, Mr. Parker? There are none, Your Worship. Uh, Ms. McQuaig, did we get any comments in? Uh, Your Worship, um, the Chief Administrative Officer did receive one comment. It was an inquiry regarded to an item not on the agenda. Um, so I believe the CAO is planning on responding to that at another time. Okay. That's could correct. We, could we hear the comment? Well, it's, it's just concerning the ladder truck. Oh. Apparatus. So um, I'm preparing a response and we're basically having a meeting tomorrow and Hopefully, we'll have something so that we can bring back to council. Um, Orin, you do, you, Orin, you don't have to make comments from the public when you're a member from the <laughs> council. Wasn't me. <laughs> okay. what, what, what's a ladder truck? <laughs> so, so to be quite honest, we were hoping to have, uh, at our last meeting, we accepted the report. Right. Just briefly, we accepted the report, and we were going to bring something to council. I was hoping it would be this uh, meeting. It's not, so we are just, uh, we'll, we're meeting tomorrow. We're gonna come up with a better plan. And uh, once we get something, we'll report to council. Okay, so uh, key communication items, Ms. Zoom. I think we can say that um, we had uh, MLA Dan Williams attend uh, and he, uh, um, he addressed a number of items. Uh, 
we also had the RCMP uh, detachment uh, provide their annual briefing and uh, requested uh, what our top three priority items were and we provided the three items that uh, from the survey yep. uh, along with the comments to the RCMP. Um, we should uh, we should uh, uh, highlight the Alberta transportation uh, bridge redecking. Uh, this will be a project that will uh, uh, that will uh, spend 40 million dollars here in the town of Peace River. Well, probably not all 40 million, but uh, up to 40 million dollars. It will cover three, two construction seasons, uh, and uh, um, is expected to. Uh, well, perhaps uh, Ryan will even get you a number of jobs even tomorrow morning or something like that, um, and uh, and just hype it up. It sounded like. Um from Alberta Transportation and they were going to develop some communication around it first and I suppose word will get out before too long that River Road will be closed for quite some time but do we want to you know, kind of wait until they yeah. do their thing or should we just do our thing or um, I, 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 I think we I could reach out with Ryan and just see how long it would take yeah. to get their communication person in because it would be nice to be in sync uh, with them. Yeah, but at the same time, we want to be, uh, we want to get out the fact that there's $40 million coming into the community and there's, uh, there'll be jobs for two construction seasons. Uh, we, we want to combine that news with the news that River Road's going to be closed. So we're not, we, we want to, we want to kiss them and slap them in the same night. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what those River Road people are complaining about, quite frankly. Well, I, I, I know. I, I'm very familiar with what they're complaining about. Every day after school from 345 to, to you know, 4 o'clock, traffic's backed up to the ready mark. Like, there's, it's, it's not nothing. Certainly, we hear with some regularity about the concerns regarding River Road. <clears throat> there is some frustration around that. I think the municipal issue that impacts us most is River Road, and that information will get out there. What I'll be doing is, um, along with Chris, is working with Alberta Transportation to get them to move along on that um, that announcement. It is their capital project, so it, it would be appropriate for them to make the initial announcement regarding that. And it is a significant investment, so they might want to do that. I wouldn't want to scoop them without having proper information either. Um, so I would need some of that stuff in writing from them first. We also need to set up some administrative processes. If people have questions about the project, we're not the appropriate authority to answer those questions. So we need to make sure that we have stuff in place uh, with Autumn. Alberta Transportation for questions. Autumn, did, did, they, did they do anything on the $160 million bridge? They sat pretty silent. There was a press release. <laughs> for, yeah, one press release for 160 million spent in the town of Peace River. Uh, we want to make our citizens excited about uh, jobs coming to Peace River, COVID stimulus. Uh, we need to kick their ass to get that press release out sooner rather than later. Uh, that and $15 million school project. Uh, 
Yeah, I understand. Uh, well, actually, I don't understand, but uh, I hear you that uh, there's a, that seems to be a, a sore, uh, a sore point with some residents, the, uh, the closure of River Road, and, and maybe we package it with the $40 million, but we need to, uh, we need to get this stuff out when it's fresh, not when it's stale and and people go, oh, it's already done. Yeah, Mr. Good. Well, I think part of the part of the I'll put it from in my own word, basically, that part of the issue to me was when this was brought to us a couple of weeks back or a month ago, nobody knew how long or whatever, which is why we were talking about different plans. And if high if if highways had known X number of months ago that this was the plan to have River Road, um, let's say, closed, and, and for good reason. Let's assume there's an amazingly good reason and that it's going to bring a real benefit to the community, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The time to talk about that is at the earliest opportunity and say to people, look, we're going to be doing this and here's why we're going to be doing it. When we didn't, when we weren't aware of what their timeframes were, our, our administration wasn't aware of it. I don't believe that Mr. McQuaig was aware of the time um, from the comments that were made to us in the meeting we had about it. Um, they certainly was no communication with the businesses as to what was happening because they were coming to us to ask. So that's, uh, yes, there's an amazingly good news story here that the fact we're gonna get the decking probably two years ahead of when we were going to get it all that kind of stuff, the money's going to be spent here. But I do kind of understand the public's view. If, if you're told six months or a year ago, River Road's going to be closed for a year. That's the way it is. The two bridges are going in and that's what you got to deal with. Well, you know that. But when you think it's going to be open in four weeks or you think it's going to be open in two weeks or six weeks or whatever, there's confusion. You're kind of planning your life around. So I, I think that's where the issue is, is that there really wasn't what I would call out front communication. And, and, um, and, I don't believe it was any nefarious purpose or anything like that. I just don't think it was handled as well. No, no, I, I could just then, add, uh, um, uh, Councillor, if I could just add. So one of the great things is, is then when we, we actually sat down and we, we met with uh, transportation um, uh, last weekend, the, the week before concerning this issue, and we actually outright said, you know, the biggest issue that we had was we kept on getting dates from you. We kept on publicizing these dates and these dates kept on getting extended. And we kept on saying, so we were taking the brunt of a lot of communication issues. AT was not. So AT was under the impression we wanted the road open. So they were giving these, these dates and hoping that they'd make them, not thinking because they didn't get any of the comments from the public and therefore we were getting them. So um, there was a little miscommunication on that aspect that uh, they didn't see the severity of, well, what's the big deal of the dates? Because, you know, we give you new dates, which they weren't seeing the, re the, the response from the public. So um, after we met, and then they really explained us, they actually took, through, took us through, we met at site and took us through each and every section of the bridge and why they had a problem and why they can't open and the liability issues that are there right now, if they were to open right now, and if they could have opened even earlier, um, that basically would have caused major problems. That was, uh, we, we kind of like had this epiphany. So 
coming back to it, it was the road being closed that was the bigger issue for the public. And other than, you know, yes, the bridge is great. It's like having the province report on our uh, Baytex saying, hey, we're opening up this Baytex and they do the announcement. It's, it's like cutting the rug right from out of them. And I know we want to promote. Yes, we got this and we got all this, this areas, but the bigger issue really was the, the closing of the road there, sir. Okay, so you just told me AT is not very good at communicating, but you have now have most, if not all the information. You, you have a few blank spots. That means uh, you, it sounds like we can write the communication for them. Uh, they can fill in some of the blank spots and we can get it out there. And then people know what the hell's going on. Like, don't, don't wait for these guys. You, you know, if you wait for them, they're going to go, oh, uh, Chris Parker doesn't really care. He's just bugging us because he's got nothing else to do on his plate. So uh, we, ne we need to get out there, and even if we have to write it for them, uh, and get them to fill in the blanks so that we're ready to go. But like, of course, people are getting pissed off because they're not getting any communication, but you guys are taking, telling me you're taking all the heat, but uh, you're not doing yourselves any favor by waiting for Alberta transportation to fill the void for you. Yeah, well, we were passing on the information we were getting from them, and that's why you were taking the heat, because we were reporting their information when really they should be reporting. We should have directed it consistently to Alberta Transportation, yeah. hence not report anything, and then they would have taken the heat. Okay, Alberta Transportation is notorious for not communicating very well. It's just like that goddamn uh, pothole on the, on the original bridge that was there for six months and everybody's tire blew out. Orrin? Yeah, not to be contradictive or anything, but I do, uh, I do agree that the message needs to get out sooner than later. However, um, I did, I do recall Mr. Connell Wallach saying that they need to get better in their communications, but did I not hear Mr. Parker say that you um, and or Autumn would be reaching out to, to them possibly even tomorrow morning to start working on this communicate? Yeah, I thought I heard something like that. So. We're going to put pressure on them for sure. This is a priority for us. I, I'm the one that's dealt with the um, upset <clears throat> on the public end uh, through our social media pages with every time the goalpost was moved. And I just want to say, I think um, Councillor Good sort of hit the nail on the head with the issue there. It, if we were able to come out at the very beginning and say, it's going to be closed for this period of time for the following reasons, People would have understood that. The information we were getting from AT at the time was it's going to be 11 days. It's going to be another two weeks. It's going to be another two weeks. And that constant update cycle of it's going to be two more weeks just fueled frustration. So in November, our last update was it will be closed for the time being, for the indefinitely, essentially. Um, we've received odd inquiries since then about has this timeline been updated? Has it, et cetera. So now we've got some information from Alberta Transportation. We can speak plainly to those inquiries because for the last two months, our answer has been, we don't know. We're trying to get information from AUT. So now when we get those inquiries, we have an answer. It'll be closed until the fall because they're redecking the bridge. But in terms of making like a formal press release announcement about the context of the capital project itself, it's a provincial project. 
and it would be on the one hand a little inappropriate for us to issue a formal release on their project we wouldn't want them doing that to us um and the other thing is it's sort of a you break it you bought it type situation with these things if we issue the release it becomes our project on, on a certain philosophical level and we're going to own all the details of it and all the impacts of it positive and negative um and since we struggle sometimes to get information from Alberta Transportation anyways, and it's their project, really they're the ones that should be dealing with the impacts there. We can help advocate, we can help push forward, and we can help connect residents with that information and bring it out. But um, for us to take front and center is, is kind of putting us at unnecessary risk there. So we have the basic answer. We can provide that starting right away. I can, I've got at least one person who I think in the last week had asked us about this. I can get back to them and say it'll be until the fall, but yeah, and we will push AT on a, on a press release. Well, you heard Ryan say it's $40 million. He said that a few times and it's uh, two construction seasons. And and I, I know they've got ministry comms people and I know that they're looking for good news stories as well. So it's in their benefit to announce this publicly. It's jobs, it's investment in the area. It's, it's good well, for they, them. You, you know as well as I do, they didn't do a very good job on the $160 million bridge. It was terrible, terrible job. Um, so uh, local and and uh, I guess we uh, we passed uh, what four five, four bylaws and including uh, improvement levy bylaw ninety fourth uh 95th Ave, the utility rate bylaw, and the cemetery bylaw. Yes. So yeah. those will all be covered out. Um, the 94th, 95th Aves will be um, in touch with the residents in those areas directly. Uh, utility rates, we usually cover those through our uh, utility mail outs direct to the customers. So we'll have some info in that. Um, and the cemetery will be updating updating our information with that. When we announced the Colibarium, we had interest immediately from people. So formalizing that process will be useful. Okay. Um, I've also got the, uh, we'll be moving into the, the advertising phase for the manufacturer, for the uh, small manufacturing bylaw. Um, in terms of water, uh, the last council meeting, we had a point brought up about water pooling and what we're doing ahead of breakup. So administration put together some information around that. It was mailed out Thursday. I received it in my mailbox today, so people should have gotten that. Um, it also pushes the alert system that we're using, Voyant, a little bit. So that's something we're trying to get more subscribers on board with. Um, and one issue that was brought up just before the meeting uh, via the CAO. So potholes, we're into that awkward time of year where uh, the potholes are starting to appear with the recent melt. Um, I, however, because of the dampness and because of the temperatures, we're not able to start really fixing them yet. Jim can elaborate a bit more on this, but essentially what I've been told from Public Works is they need overnight temperatures to be above zero and they need 24 hours of dry weather. Um, otherwise the patch will pop right back out <coughs> and it'll pop back out again. Yeah. That being said, we do have the cold mix. We have a list of potholes. We've got crews. We're ready to patch them as soon as possible. Um, and once we're able to start patching, we'll start advertising the program. Um, the, we, we don't want to start advertising before we can actually patch them because as soon as we start advertising it, we will get people reporting potholes in and 
if we can't address them in a timely manner, we're just gonna further upset people. So I did take a look through our work order system. We actually don't have any active um, pothole complaints from this season. Um, I have taken at least one concern through social media, but that's been the only one that I've handled. I'm not sure about front desk phone calls at this time. So complaints to the town are quite low at this time on that. I am aware that there are complaints about the pothole situation, but they're more in generalities on social media rather than um, actually people contacting us with a, a directed concern. So just wanted to ease counsel. And in case you're getting pressure from any residents, we will be patching them as soon as we have a dry day. Public Works is ready to go. As soon as it stops snowing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when, when is the uh, river breakup meeting starting? Uh, we have uh, a date set for Thursday, Your Worship, uh, Thursday, and I believe it's at uh, 11 a.m. I've sent uh, notices out to Council and to yourself uh, this evening, Your Worship, uh, for that meeting. So, yeah, be 11 a.m. on Zoom on the Thursday. And uh, is there already a projected date? Uh, that's what the uh, environment is currently running the models. Uh, I do know that uh, the ice is broken up as far as Elk Island right now. Uh, so uh, I know Mr. Emmer with environment is just uh, taking the next day or two to, to update the models and he'll be able to present that on Thursday to give us a, more of a time frame. But I'm anticipating it could come as soon as in two weeks, but that's all weather dependent. Uh, this week, it has slowed down substantially with the colder temperatures. So uh, we'll, we'll uh, have some more info on Thursday. Uh, and there's quite a bit of snow in the hills still, so that's not good. Yeah, Mr. Ford? Yeah, just with that being said, uh, Autumn, will you be doing a uh, um, advertising and uh, that safety package again to uh, keep people from going on onto that ice during the breakup as we do yep. every year. Yep, we've got, um, actually I had a request from the fire department on that one. Yes, we've got a little notice prepared. Okay, uh, Ms. Manser. You're, you're on mute, Elaine. Always do backwards here. Um, Autumn, could you also um, make mention of the RPAP thing since it's uh, coming up very quickly? Yes, I didn't get to that. That was the uh, last one on my list. So they usually make stuff available. I can also share the link to the event mm -hmm. since it's a Facebook thing. Um, That'd be great. Maybe they'll get bigger turnout. I hope so. Thank you. No problem. Okay. Okay. Um, who wants to adjourn the meeting? We're having so much fun. Let's keep going. Okay, Ms. Downing, uh, all in favor? Okay, meeting adjourned. Thanks. Good night, guys. Thank you. Bye, everyone. See you, Byron. Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone.